It has basically been the thing I've done my entire life. I'm an immigrant from the Soviet Union. I uh, came to the U.S. My dad got a job as a stock boy in a liquor store. Eventually lived the American dream and owned his own uh, liquor store in Springfield, New Jersey called Shoppers Discount Liquors. It was in an affluent general area of New Jersey, which meant that in the early 90s, wine interest started to grow. People started coming in and asking for things. I'm a good listener, even as a 14-year-old kid stocking shelves. And I said, people collect wine? I was a passionate sports card collector at the time. When I made that connection, that really changed the course of my life. At 14 in 1989, I basically dedicated almost all my reading to the Wine Spectator, to Robert Parker, to Jancis Robinson books, and became wildly passionate about wine, became unbelievably knowledgeable, which led to, in 1996, me launching one of the first e-commerce wine businesses in America called Wine Library. Basically, from that point on till the mid-2000s, I built uh, one of the largest independent wine retail companies in the world that I'm very proud of in my family business. I also launched the first uh, YouTube wine content show in the world that became a big phenomenon called Wine Library TV. I have a deep desire to help people drink better wine and explore new wines, and that's the manifestation of how I got here to this point. In my opinion, Empathy Wines value prop is very simple, which is disproportionately bringing more value uh, in the bottle of the quality of the rosé white and red than what you're required to pay for it. Transcript of the call released. You say you want the transcript of the call released. Do you also want the I didn't the say that at all. I didn't say that at all. It may get released. I didn't say that at all. I don't think it's a great precedent to be releasing calls with foreign countries, heads of foreign countries. So I don't think it's a great precedent. So I didn't say I was going to release it at all. I will tell you it's a great call. It's a very honorable call. It's a nice call. Uh, The Ukrainian government last night, very strongly, they announced that this call was a very nice call. There was and they also said there was no pressure put on them like the character over to your left. Uh, There was no pressure put on them whatsoever. I put no pressure on them whatsoever. I could have. I think it would probably, possibly have been okay if I did. But I didn't. I didn't put any pressure on them whatsoever. You know why? Because they want to do the right thing. And they know about corruption. And they probably know that Joe Biden and his son are corrupt. It's a very dishonest media. Those people right up there with all the cameras. How does Donald Trump follow the Nixon playbook? Consider this press conference from October 1973 in the East Room of the White House. Uh, I have never heard or seen such outrageous, vicious, distorted reporting in 27 years of public life. What is it about the television coverage of you in these past weeks and months that has so aroused your anger? Don't get the impression that you arouse my anger. One can only be angry with those he respects. And here is Donald Trump last January in the very same room. Tomorrow they will say, Donald Trump rants and raves at the press. I'm not ranting and raving. I'm just telling you, you know, you're dishonest people. But, but, I'm not ranting and raving. Here is President Nixon speaking to Secretary of State Henry Kissinger in 1972. 
echoed by Donald Trump's infamous tweet, the fake news media is not my enemy, it is the enemy of the American people. There is the president. Nixon resigned from the presidency in the face of obstruction of justice charges. And now Trump is being investigated on the same alleged crime. The Watergate scandal that brought Nixon down began with a break-in at the Democratic National Committee headquarters in 1972. The burglars were caught and tied to the Nixon campaign. The key question came at Senate hearings from Republican Howard Baker. What did the president know? And when did he know it? Then came the news that Nixon had secretly taped all the White House sessions in which he methodically planned a cover-up with his close advisors, including paying off the burglars to buy their silence. Yes, I appreciate that. In the Oscar-winning movie All the President's Men, Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman play Washington Post reporters Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, who won the Pulitzer Prize for their Watergate coverage. Today, Woodward is writing a book about Donald Trump. Nixon famously said on those, on those tapes, it's not the crime that gets you, it's the cover-up. Was he right? Nixon was wrong. It was the crime of Watergate. It was the war against uh, the system of justice in the United States. Uh, this was the clear obstruction of justice and we have those thousands of hours of tapes which really define Watergate and Nixon and the extent of the crimes. God damn it, I'm never going to discuss this son of a bitching Watergate thing again. Never, 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 never. The Nixon presidency uh, had at its center an unstable man. Historian Tim Naftali was the first independent custodian of the tapes as director of the Nixon Presidential Library. In terms of temperament, there is a volcanic center to both men. The ranting, the anger, the paranoid concerns, the hatred. With Donald Trump, we have the tweets. We have the tweets that are often just rants. This similarity leads to the next big question, I think, which is, will Donald Trump engage in Nixonian activities? In private, Nixon wanted Teamsters to go out and physically attack protesters. Whereas Trump expressed the same attitude in public. If you see somebody getting ready to throw a tomato, knock the crap out of them, would you? Seriously. Attempt is being made. Connecticut Senator Lowell Weicker became famous as a moderate Republican on the Watergate committee who eventually turned against Richard Nixon. But the scope of the committee's mandate goes far beyond Watergate. Today he is waiting to see evidence before coming to any judgment about Donald Trump. I started out as a Richard, Richard Nixon lover and it was only after I had facts in hand that I turned the other way. So I'm not willing to go ahead and impose a different set of standards on Donald Trump. And I just don't have those facts. But Weicker is ready to judge arguments that have been put forward by Mr. Trump's lawyers in the Russia collusion investigation. Such as the notion that the president could not commit obstruction of justice by exercising powers granted to him under the U.S. Constitution. 
that echoes an old Nixon argument. Well, when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal. Nonsense. Nonsense. I thought it was nonsense then. Nonsense now. The lawyers don't speak for the Constitution of the United States or the people of this country. Uh, no man in this nation is above the law. When you look at what's gone on with the FBI and with the Justice Department, people are very, very angry. Thank Donald you Trump much. regularly attacks the FBI and the special counsel investigation. Trump said to the New York Times that former FBI Director Robert Mueller would be acting improperly if he starts looking into the finances of the Trump Organization. Now, of course, Trump is suggesting that Mueller would cross a red line if he starts looking at the family finances at his tax returns. Well, that's too bad for him. I mean, I, I think Mueller has every right to do that. I think Mueller has to go there and it would not be like him or like federal prosecutors to kind of say, oh, we're not going to look in that corner. Mm -hmm. They look in every corner. That the work will continue. Of course, there is widespread speculation that Trump will just fire Robert Mueller. Six FBI agents present. Echoing the famous Saturday Night Massacre when Nixon fired Watergate Special Prosecutor Archibald Cox, along with the Attorney General and his deputy. The country tonight is in the midst of what may be the most serious constitutional crisis in its history. The political impact of the Saturday Night Massacre was giant because there was a sense of, hey, Nixon's firing the person who's investigating him. Uh, that led to the impeachment inquiry. Oh, I think if Trump fired Bar Bob Mueller, he'd be in, in deep you-know-what. Is that what happened with Nixon? Yeah. By the time the House of Representatives met to discuss the matter of impeachment, his goose was already cooked. All those in favor, please signify... By all accounts, there was much more bipartisanship in the Nixon era. In the end, the evidence against the president caused many congressmen in his own party to vote for his impeachment. Mr. Cohen. Could that happen today? The Republicans run the House, the Senate, and the White House. The best thing that we could have happen is in 2018 to have the Democrats take control of one house. Doesn't have to be two. One's fine. Oh, my goodness. If the Democrats take one of the houses of Congress, let alone both of them, uh, one can anticipate public hearings. I'm not saying that you can anticipate impeachment. That's a, it's a tough political process that will require a lot of Republican support for it to happen. But you'll have public hearings. It's going to be on television and on the web 20, you know, all the time. And that would have an, er an eroding effect on President Trump's support and his legitimacy, just as it did for Richard Nixon. What, in your view, finally kind of turned Nixon's allies against him? Great question. Nixon, the, from the Watergate burglary to the resignation was two years, two months, and it was continual drip, drip, drip of tapes, evidence, testimony, memoirs, people doing television interviews. It was a very, uh, it was a giant barrage of evidence. If Nixon had burned those White House tapes, do you think he would have survived? He definitely would have survived. Uh, the 
you need a, in an investigation like this a path to proof. Those tapes were proof. Uh, if you don't have that path, it's, it's hard. Even if the Democrats take control of the House of Representatives in the midterm elections this year, and if the House then votes for impeachment, it would still take a two-thirds vote in the Senate to actually remove Trump from office. With today's Republican Party, that possibility seems quite remote. And there is the president waving goodbye. But considering how fast Nixon's support from his own party melted, it's not impossible. For The National, I'm Terrence McKenna in Washington. I remember the first time I interviewed... So, I remember the first time I interviewed you. Uh, we were both kind of wandering around downtown Concord. Uh, you had places to go. I was trying to find you. Uh, and I'm not going to say you were just a guy, because you clearly knew what you were talking about. But you've made it a long way from that point. Well, thank what's you. The, what's the biggest change that you've seen uh, since you were essentially wandering the streets of Concord to now being Andrew Yang, presidential candidate, who's on those big debate stages? Well, it's uh, people know who, knowing who I am. <laughs> That's uh, totally my recollection as well, Adam, where, you know, when I came to New Hampshire for the first time, most people were completely unfamiliar with me and my platform. Um, and now the crowds are bigger, the energy's higher, the enthusiasm is electric. Uh, and it's very touching, it's very heartening. Uh, you know, as a human being, where you see people actually uh, so happy to see you, I mean, it's very heartwarming and invigorating. Do you think universal basic income is, I mean, obviously, people like you, that's, you know, your supporters do, but yeah, nice. is that help open the door a little bit? The fact that, hey, there's the guy who wants to give me a $1,000 a month, that, as a starting point, uh, not bad, right? Well, it's likely the first thing someone's heard about me in the campaign. And then many people initially, I think, see it as too good to be true or a gimmick or somehow not possible. And then uh, when you dig into our history, you find that there's a deeply American idea and we can make it a reality if enough of us come together, particularly in New Hampshire. If enough people in New Hampshire come together, then the freedom dividend will become reality in 2021. So UBI gets you in the door. Do you feel like you have to raise your game, do something different? Um, to break through that next level, to get up there with Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders? No, in many ways, Adam, I think in, uh, you've seen the progression. It's harder to go from uh, totally anonymous to uh, fourth, fifth, or sixth in the polls, which I am now by most every measurement, to go from fourth, fifth, or sixth in the polls to first. Uh, so we're one of the very few campaigns in the field that has been growing consistently, and that growth just continues to accelerate. So if we keep on this track, we are going to contend for the whole thing. And one of the things that's most exciting is that I'm one of only two candidates in the field that 10% or more of Donald Trump voters say they will support. So when I am the Democratic nominee, we win the whole thing. And Democrats have one primary criteria for the nominee, and that's beating Donald Trump. When they realize that I'm as sure a bet to beat Donald Trump as anyone else in the field, uh, you'll see my numbers just grow and grow. When we first started talking, you weren't a big fan of impeachment uh, when it was back in just the Russia investigation. What do you think now that we've seen more come out in particular regards to this whistleblower complaint? Yes, I uh, concluded earlier this week that impeachment was the right way to go uh, because of just the egregious pattern of behavior and that if you have the president literally leaning on a foreign leader to try and kneecap a political rival and then suppress the uh, investigation at some point Congress had to act and so I believe that it's right to uh, proceed with impeachment 
hearings. I will say, though, that every moment we're talking about Donald Trump is a victory for Donald Trump, and that the challenge that Democrats need to meet is to have our own vision for the country that people will be excited about. The vision cannot be we're not Donald Trump. We, ha we have to solve the problems that actually got Donald Trump into office in 2016. Uh, before we wrap up here, I've got a question. Uh, there's a very strong culture around your campaign. You know, you've got the Yang Gang, crowd surfing. Uh, you see a lot of you online, social media. Uh, there's a real splash there. Uh, but this thing that happened with this guy from SNL who got hired and then fired over his racial slurs, you were saying, you know, I think cancel culture has gone a little too far. Um, Talk a little bit about that and explain, you know, if, if he didn't cross a line for you, then what is the line, I guess? Those were pretty offensive statements. Yes, and he used racial epithets for me specifically as an individual, which uh, uh, obviously, you know, when I first heard about it, I was like, what? Like, who is this person? What did he say? What just happened? And so I sat down with my wife to watch some of his work. Uh, comedy. Trying to, his comedy. Trying to figure out whether he was malignant uh, and racist or whether he was something else. And upon sitting down and watching his work, uh, I thought he was a still forming comedian from central Pennsylvania who told some uh, offensive jokes. And to me, that's not the sort of thing you should lose your job over, particularly if you're in that line of work. And as the person who was personally insulted, I thought, well, if I think that he should not lose his job, then I should certainly say something about that because if anyone should be taking offense, it's me. Um, but that was after some deliberation and investigation to figure out what I thought um, of him individually. And I think that's where we should be as a country. Instead of, instead of being unduly punitive and vindictive, we should be a little bit more forgiving and understanding and try and humanize uh, behaviors that in the abstract uh, we'd find problematic very rational response there. Sometimes people want a president who will react, though. Get punched in the face, they might punch back. Uh, oh, if you punch me in the face, I'll punch back. That's <laughs> I'm not going to um, test that. <laughs> but, uh, but as you suggested, I do think that cancel culture has gone a bit too far. And one thing someone said that stuck with me is that if you have a group of people um, calling for someone to be fired, that group of people then moves on a week uh, later, but then the person's still fired. So, you know, you're in some cases irrevocably changing someone's life or career, uh, and that lasts for years, whereas that satisfaction uh, that you get by calling for it fades away very quickly. All right. Andrew Yang, thanks for spending time with us. Thanks, Adam. Great to see you again. We appreciate it. Bring in an all-star team to help. Let's bring in an all-star team to help break down these major developments. Anna Palmer, Politico's senior Washington correspondent and co-author of Politico's playbook, Brett McGurk worked on sensitive diplomatic missions across the Middle East during the last three presidential administrations. And Michael McFaul served as the U.S. ambassador to Russia. Ambassador McFaul, I must go to you first. I had a sleepless night thanks to you. I was watching the 11th hour. When these text messages first became public, you were shocked, you were rattled, something I have never seen before. Now that we're almost a day later, how are you absorbing all this? Well, I was. Thanks for staying up and watching. Um, it was shocking to me. It was outrageous because um, in a couple of ways. Number one, it just confirms that there was not just one phone call where the president, you know, the president sometimes says one-off things that they pull back. This was a, a campaign over many months to try to make this quid pro quo happen. 
And, and by the way, I just want to say something. Even if there wasn't a quid pro quo, the president of the United States asking the president of Ukraine to get dirt on his political opponent, even if he wasn't offering something in return, is also wrong. But the texts were crystal clear that it was there. And moreover, it wasn't just President Trump and his you know, other Ukrainian envoy, Rudy Giuliani, doing this. There were members, Mr. Volker and Mr. Sondland, were intimately involved in trying to make this quid pro quo happen. And so much so that they were jamming the Ukrainians to put it on the record. If you read the text, they're saying, no, you have to say it on the record. And you can tell the Ukrainians are pulling back and say, well, maybe you should say on the record that we get the Oval Office meeting before we do that. That's obviously a quid pro quo uh, being uh, negotiated. And I find it deeply troubling, A, that the president did it, and B, that he had a lot of help here. You're a former diplomat. Have you ever been asked to do anything like this? No, of course not. I worked five years for President Obama. Uh, we did quid pro quos to defend and advance American national interests all the time. That's part of diplomacy. But never was I asked to do a personal favor for President Obama on anything, let alone uh, helping him with his re-election campaign. Brett, diplomatic efforts now take place on text message. Is that new? Is that rare? Or is this the world we're living in? Um, I think that's the world we're living in. I mean, things move pretty fast. But I, I just, look, Mike is absolutely right. I mean, the text mess messages here are uh, incredible. And what does not surprise me is that Ambassador Bill Taylor, he's someone that I know uh, quite well. He's a Vietnam veteran. He's a he's an experienced diplomat. I was on the ground with him in Iraq in 2004. I served with him in the State Department. I'm at least issues that he is throwing a flag here over a series of weeks saying this is this is crazy. And uh, I think he's really standing up for the Constitution. He's taken the oath to the Constitution multiple times throughout his life. Um, and he's saying this is wrong. And he was George W. Bush's ambassador in Ukraine. So, you know, he knows something about these issues. And he's the one interfacing with the Ukrainians, who I think are telling him, look, we don't really want to be involved in this. Like, what is going on here? So those are really the most important uh, messages that I saw. All right, well, then tell me this, Brett, because the president is saying it's all about fighting corruption. Are you aware of any efforts uh, that this administration is putting forth around fighting corruption besides what we're talking about here? No, this whole thing is so crazy. I mean, look, I, I really try to be nonpartisan. I've served for Democrats, Republicans, um, never seen anything like this before. And President Trump was asked today, have you ever asked for an investigation of someone that was not uh, a political opponent? And he said he couldn't answer that. So this is this is all uh, boils down to the fact that uh, Joe Biden is running for president. He's the leading contender right now in the Democratic nomination. And now the record is quite clear. So, I mean, as we talked the other day, Stephanie, there's really one issue here. Is it okay for a president, any president, to ask a foreign government to help him gain advantage in an upcoming uh, presidential campaign election? And the answer there is no. And you quoted, I think, uh, Mitt Romney earlier. I mean, he clearly has said that this is uh, deeply troubling and wrong. And it's just, it's clear as day. Republican, Democrat, no president should ever do this. It is a violation of the most fundamental values uh, of our country, going all the way back to everything the framers were saying, to George Washington's farewell address about the danger to our republic of foreign interference in our political system. Um, this is just fundamental and elementary, and now it's very clear for everybody to see. Uh, I actually have Mitt Romney's quote in front of us. He sent it out via tweet. When the only American citizen President Trump singles out for China's investigation is his political opponent in the midst of a Democratic nomination process, it strains credulity to suggest 
that it is anything other than politically motivated. By all appearances, the president's brazen and unprecedented appeal to China and to Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden is wrong, and it is appalling. Anna, I I'm willing to break my rule and use the word unprecedented, which says something about today. But beyond this tweet, what's Mitt Romney doing about it? And tell me what else the, other, the rest of the Republican Party members of the Republican Party on the Hill are saying, if not in public, behind closed doors. I think what you're hearing is a lot of silence, actually. There has not been a lot of Republicans who've been willing, certainly not to go as far as Mitt Romney has gone there. But just in general, I think they have been trying to keep very quiet. They are probably benefiting, frankly, from the fact that it is a two-week recess. Republicans are back home, so they're not being faced with the Washington press corps who would be following them in droves, asking them all of the questions that you've been talking about. But Mitt Romney is a lone soldier right now. The question is really going to be, he is... He, this is as far as he's gone. I think the question is going to be, what does he do next? This is, was a tweet. Uh, you know, does he come back and, and, and does he side with Democrats on this? You know, is he going to call for hearings? Is he going to actually press for an investigation or is it just a statement? And what do some of these other Republicans in some of these swing state, uh, you know, states, whether it's Cory Gardner in Colorado, Susan Collins in Maine and others, do they start to feel pressure on this, you know, on the political side of things? as well well you Anna uh, Politico is calling are, ca are calling these the smoking texts I mean that's a big statement Republicans knowing that the smoking texts are out there and they're not saying much that doesn't move the needle for them I think it, it, we will not know until they get back into town. I think it's a lot easier for them to stay quiet right now. Uh, you know, a lot of senators have, have stayed very quiet, but even House members today, I think, are unusually quiet. Some of the president's defenders are having a hard time figuring out exactly what to say to some of these things. Because if you remember, many of them are on the record. Want to take your XFi to the next level? Now you can. Get enhanced performance and protection with XFi Vantage. Plus, enjoy as much high-speed Wi-Fi as you like with unlimited data. That's XFi Vantage. The best Wi-Fi just got even better. Upgrade today. Call, click, or visit a store. Heard about 2016 and how it was inappropriate to have a foreign government interfere in an election, and that appears to be what exactly this president is asking China and other countries to do. Ambassador, you've known Bill Taylor, you've known Kurt Volker for years. Um, Ambassador Sunderland, someone you don't know. The president cited his text with the no quid pro quo. Um, tell us, is that going to be enough of a text um, to help the president get out of this? Well, it shouldn't be. I mean, goodness sakes. I mean, the, the facts are just clear as day, as Brett said. Uh, just saying that it's not a quid pro quo does not make it not a quid pro quo. I think he was putting that on the record for a reason. And as you rightly pointed out, this is a Trump supporter. He has the job because he gave a lot of money uh, to candidate Trump in the inauguration. He's a real estate developer. He is not a, a diplomat. And I have no idea. I think it is an important question why is he involved in this? He's the EU ambassador. He has nothing to do with Ukraine, and yet he's going to the inaugurational ceremonies in Ukraine, and now he's on all these texts. 
Um, to, to the point of the other uh, two ambassadors, I do want to underscore what Brett said. Uh, ambassador Taylor here is a hero. Uh, when you read these texts, he's obviously very uncomfortable uh, with this play that they are concocting. He is listening to the Ukrainians. He understands that they're uncomfortable. Uh, and he threatens to resign in one of those texts. He said, if we're doing this, if we're tying military assistance to help President Trump win his reelection campaign, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, right, but it's all on the record now, he says, in parentheses, I quit. That's an American standing up for American national interests. Uh, Anna, we know all of this because of the Volcker deposition, but there's other depositions yet to come. The ex-ambassador is going to be speaking next week. We don't know uh, if Gordon Sondland will. Any specific expectations from what's to come? I mean, I, th I think it's hard to make predictions. I certainly wouldn't have predicted that today we would have the smoking text. So I think the, the thing to think about is every day we are peeling back the onion and there's reports and stories that are coming out from this testimony. And so each day, what happens with the inspector general, for example, what comes out after that hearing today, I think is going to be very important. And it's, it's just a drumbeat of stories that I think Republicans are going to have to have a hard time answering to next week. Uh, Ambassador, I want to share what the president said yesterday insisting that when he spoke about China investigating the Bidens, it was just about corruption, not politics. Let's listen to it. China should start an investigation into the Bidens because what happened in China is just about as bad as what happened with, uh, with Ukraine. So I would say that President Zelensky, if it were me, I would recommend that they start an investigation into the Bidens, because nobody has any doubt that they weren't crooked. Okay, a week ago, Karl Rove, uh, sort of a, a classic D.C. Republican, uh, said Joe Biden didn't do anything wrong here. Is the president, Brett, simply trying to change the narrative and say this is about corruption when it obviously isn't? Uh, again, Stephanie, it's just unbelievable to hear the, a president speak like this. I mean, he's talking about China, which is our number one global competitor, according to his own national security strategy. And it's also been reported that he's telling uh, President Xi that, look, I'm not going to say anything about Hong Kong because I don't want to interfere with uh, your internal issues using language that Xi would use. But I want you to interfere with my internal uh, political process. This is, I think Mitt Romney, what he said is absolutely right. It's wrong and appalling. Uh, anybody can see it. And particularly with China, this is our number one global competitor. The heart of President Trump's national security strategy is competition against China. And this gets to a larger point. There is no foreign policy going on right now. There is no national security process. On issue after issue, if you chip under below the surface, um, I think we are taking on increasing risk in the country from issue after issue. And um, what happened in Ukraine, there was a policy to provide assistance to the Ukrainian government, but there was a shadow policy coming out of the Oval Office uh, to, uh, to counter that. And that's going on across the government. Diplomats on the front lines who are interfacing with governments, including adversaries and competitors like Russia and China, uh, don't know what the policy is because you don't know what the president is going to do from day to day. Um, so this is really taking on risk for our country and our national security. It's very serious. And uh, there's just no defense for what we're hearing the president say out of his own mouth. Anna, are Republicans really going to try this defense uh, that this is so swampy and so unethical? Surely voters don't like the swamp. 
They don't like to hear stories uh, like sons of politicians uh, getting paid on the side. But it's absolutely not unique to Joe Biden. And can this White House actually make these claims, given you've got Ivanka Trump, Jared Kushner working in the White House, Rudy Giuliani's son worked there, Barr's son-in-law works at the White House. I haven't even gotten into uh, the trademarks Ivanka Trump has gotten from China, the foreign business his sons do. The list goes on and on. You can't really point to, to Joe Biden's situation and say that's the swamp when you're living amongst the frogs and the toads. Yeah, I think it's a hard argument for them to make. It's clearly what the president is is trying to do, saying he's there just to route out corruption and any corruption, uh, you know, that, that's happening on American soil or, or abroad. I, I think the question is going to be, do Republicans continue to uh, defend him in that way? And so far, I, I think the sign today is that quietness, that silence is an important change and, and tone. Even some of the president's biggest defenders, Mark Meadows, Jim Jordan, you haven't been hearing them talk on camera as much as they had been previously, where they had the whistleblower. They would kind of make a lot of different arguments about why the whistleblower wasn't, uh, you know, why it wasn't a legitimate transcript and things like that. But now you have the president on the South Lawn of the White House to asking China to interfere and putting, you know, in the same sentence, a couple sentences later, talking about the trade deal that we, the U.S. is having with China. So there, there's so many mounting pieces of evidence. I think it's going to be hard for them to continue along those lines of defense. Hey, MSNBC fans, thanks for checking out our YouTube channel. Subscribe by clicking on that button down there and click on any of the videos here to watch. Four years after battling cancer. The 39th president of the United States, Jimmy Carter. Four months after falling and breaking his hip, requiring weeks of intense physical therapy. I will agree to answer questions. Former President Jimmy Carter showed no signs of fatigue or pain as he stood unassisted. What book did you read that changed your life? And answered question, how should we fix the increasing polarization between parties in our country? After question, as a peanut farmer, what are your thoughts on almond butter? From students at an Emory University town hall event he's participated in every year for 38 years. We only have peanut butter in our house. I think that it's a problem when people overly lionize political figures, but I do have a great deal of respect for Jimmy Carter. Jean-Luigi Zaninelli, a first-time town hall participant, says he came with an open mind about the one-term Democratic president. I've heard a great many conservatives be incredibly critical of Jimmy Carter. But Zaninelli says that comes from Carter's tumultuous time in the White House four decades ago, well before he was born. But because of the good works that he's been doing over the course of the last 30 or more years, we have a high opinion of him as a human being because what is indisputable is that Jimmy Carter cares about other people and devotes himself to service. I would say I, I still adhere to the advice my school principal gave me. We must accommodate changing times, and these are really changing times, but cling to principles that never do change. Principles like telling the truth and helping other people. In an exclusive interview with VOA, the 95-year-old Nobel Peace Prize laureate says his age may finally be catching up to him. I used to travel to Africa three or four times a year and, and always to China and so forth. So I've cut back on my foreign travel, but uh, I'm still, you know, involved in the Carter Center. A center he leads with his wife, Rosalind which wages peace, fights disease, and builds hope around the world through programs including election monitoring and guinea worm eradication. But recent setbacks, including new transmission of the worm between dogs, could jeopardize his wish 
for eradication in his lifetime. And we think we've prevented maybe 80 million people from having anyone that would have had it otherwise. So we've made very good progress, but we still have a little ways to go. President Carter is a kind of secular saint in America today. Emory University history professor Joe Crispino says Carter has set a high standard for what is expected of U.S. presidents once they leave office. His longevity, his commitment to doing as much good as he can do in the time that he has on Earth is really a remarkable model, not just for his fellow Americans, but for people around the globe. A globe partially transformed by the work President Carter says he and Mrs. Carter will continue to do for as long as they can. Kane Fairbaugh, VOA News, Atlanta, Georgia. has had a tumultuous personal life and now he's caught in the eye of the impeachment storm five six million to a son who's a seriously uh, incompetent person who got uh, put on a board of the most corrupt company in ukraine rudy the question I, about I have, this i have the yeah. records i have the records of a three million dollars laundered payment to mr biden's son joe biden denies any wrongdoing by him or his son you should be looking at trump Trump's doing this because he knows I'll beat him like a drum. This is the Los Angeles apartment building where Hunter Biden married his second wife, yoga enthusiast Melissa Cohen, in a rooftop ceremony last May. They knew each other just 10 days, and it was such a whirlwind romance, Joe Biden wasn't even there. The presidential candidate gave his blessing in a phone call just minutes before the ceremony was held. Hunter Biden has struggled all of his life to match the accomplishments of his late brother Beau, a decorated war hero. After the breakup of Hunter's marriage and Bo's death from brain cancer in 2015, eyebrows were raised when Hunter began dating his late brother's widow. In a revealing interview with the New Yorker magazine, Hunter revealed he hit rock bottom on drugs and alcohol. I wouldn't drink for 30 days, and on day 31, I'd be right back to it. Now every corner of his life is coming under scrutiny and leading to some extraordinary heated exchanges. Shut up. Shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about, idiot. I do. During President Barack Obama's first term, his administration worked to improve relations with Russia by establishing a reset policy with Moscow, a relationship strained by Russian military action in neighboring Georgia in 2008. University of Chicago political science professor Stanislav Marcus says President Obama's reset policy showed initial signs of progress. Given that thought as a background, I think there were hopes in the administration that the relations with Russia could get back on a more uh, positive track. But Marcus says much of that thaw froze again in 2012 when Russian President Vladimir Putin returned to power. Any progress to improve relations, he says, evaporated with the Russian annexation of Crimea. But I think it, it did catch many people in the administration by surprise, given, of course, the reset policy that Obama tried to promote. As Russia consolidated its hold on Crimea, the Obama administration's reset policy was roundly criticized by opposition Republican lawmakers, such as Senator John McCain, who called President Obama's previous approach towards Russia naive. It is criticism familiar to former U.S. President Jimmy Carter, who was faced with similar challenges when the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan in 1979. So I withdrew my ambassador. I broke diplomatic relations with the with, uh, Soviet Union. Uh, 
I declared a, a grain embargo against them. I supported the Congress and the Olympic Committee in withholding our contestants from the uh, 1980 Olympics, which was a big blow to them. But much has changed in the 35 years since the Soviets invaded Afghanistan. With the end of the Cold War and increased economic ties between Russia and the rest of the world, Mr. Carter concedes the options before President Obama to counter Russian aggression in Crimea today are much more limited. Threatened embargo or even threatened military action, in my opinion, would not have deterred Putin from doing that. Crippling the economy by, say, imposing certain embargoes on uh, Russian energy, that would have an impact on the Russian people, which automatically would be interpreted in Russia as actually confirming what Putin has been saying all along, that a lot of people in the West have not left the past behind, have not left the Cold War behind. They want Russia to be on its knees. As Ukraine prepares for a presidential election May 25th, Mr. Carter says he believes President Putin will bolster efforts to influence those living geographically and ideologically close to Russia, but doubts he plans further military action in Ukraine. But the United States ought to be very forceful, along with our allies, in telling Putin if you do that, there will be very serious consequences, much more serious than anything we've done so far. U.S. military commanders in Europe estimate an additional 40,000 Russian troops are massed along the Ukrainian border. While President Carter threatened to use U.S. military force as a way to contain Soviet ambitions beyond Afghanistan in 1979, President Obama has said there is no military solution to the deepening crisis in Ukraine. Kane Fairbaugh, VOA News, Chicago. 44-year-old Hunter Biden, Vice President Joe Biden's youngest son, was discharged from the Navy Reserve after testing positive for cocaine. Hunter was commissioned in May 2013 and assigned a coveted position as a public affairs officer in Norfolk, Virginia. But U.S. officials confirm the very next month after reporting to his unit, Biden was given a routine drug test, which he failed. Biden's brief military career ended with this statement. It was the honor of my life to serve in the U.S. Navy, and I deeply regret and am embarrassed that my actions led to my administrative discharge. Hunter Biden comes from a proud military family. His older brother, Beau, is a major in the Delaware Army National Guard and served a year in Iraq. Military service has been a big part of the Biden family's public platform. I'm looking forward to standing with our son, Hunter, when he is commissioned as an ensign in the United States Navy. He follows in the footsteps of two of his grandfathers who have also served in the Navy. A source familiar with Biden's case confirms Biden received two waivers to join a special Navy Reserve program. Because of his age, the cutoff is 42, but Biden was 43 when he applied. The source says his strong academic record pushed him through. The vice president joked about his son's timing unknowingly just a month before Hunter was discharged. We have a lot of bad judgment in my family. My, my son, who's over 40, just joined the United States Navy, is about to be sworn in as an officer. Hunter Biden. The source says Hunter was granted a second waiver for a drug-related incident that took place in the late 80s when Hunter was a teen. The source saying it's not uncommon because the incident happened so long ago. Hunter Biden, the lesser known of the vice president's two sons, is a married father of three, a managing partner of an investment firm, and an adjunct professor at Georgetown University. 
Earlier in his career, he worked as a lawyer, lobbyist, and policymaker under President Clinton before joining his father on the campaign trail in 2008. And sources familiar with Biden's case tell me that the Navy never contacted the vice president's office about the discharge because, like handling other 44-year-old Navy reservists, they wouldn't call their mother or their father to tell them that they were kicked out. It would be a private matter up to the individual. The vice president's office also sees this as a private matter, and they're not commenting, Wolf. Here's what I know. I know Trump deserves to be investigated. He is violating every basic norm of a president. You should be asking him the question, why is he on the phone with a foreign leader trying to intimidate a foreign leader, if that's what happened, that appears what happened. You should be looking at Trump. Trump's doing this because he knows I'll beat him like a drum and he's using the abuse of power and every element of the, the presidency to try to do something to smear me. Depending on what the, what the House finds, he could be impeached, but I'm not making that judgment now. The House should investigate it. The House should investigate it. This appears to be an overwhelming abuse of power. To get on the phone with a foreign leader who is looking for help from the United States and ask about me and imply things, if that's what happened, that appears to be what happened. We know that's what Giuliani did. This is outrageous. Ukraine exposed how easily we are manipulated by the media by interfering in the 2016 USA election. Now, did the DNC, President Bill Clinton, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, Vice President Joe Biden, President Barack Obama, current House Democrats, and the American media. Did they knowingly or unknowingly help global corruption expand through Ukraine and knowingly or unknowingly cover it up with a Trump-Russia collusion investigation and impeachment inquiry? Interference take part or intervene in an activity without invitation or necessity. That's not what I'm doing here. There is complete necessity to intervene. Corruption. Dishonest or fraudulent conduct by those in power typically involving bribery. The process by which something typically a word or expression is changed from its original use or meaning to one that is regarded as erroneous or debased. This is exactly what is happening right now. In general, corruption is a form of dishonest or criminal activity undertaken by a person or organization entrusted with a position of authority, often to acquire illicit benefit or abuse of entrusted power for one's private gain. So, here are some important documents. The first one, the May 2016 Clinton email report. The Manafort Ledger release from Ukraine involved in a former 
Ukrainian president being elected and this was a chairman that was fired from the the um, Trump campaign so then we've got um, so the Steele dossier what did it find now what was found in the Clinton and DNC email hacks CrowdStrike report uh, that's what we're, ta we're talking about what was what was found to happen here in each of these reports the Mueller report Ukraine phone call whistleblower report impeachment inquiry article 2 section 3 he shall he shall from time to time give to the Congress information of the State of the Union and recommend to their consideration such measures as he shall judge necessary and expedient. He may, on extraordinary occasions, convene both houses or either of them, and in case of disagreement between them, with respect to the time of adjournment, he may adjourn them to such time as he shall think proper. He shall receive ambassadors and other public minister ministers, he shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed and shall commission all the officers of the United States. Then I have an Article 2 where I have the right to do whatever I want as president, but I don't even talk about that. It's a thing called Article 2. Nobody ever mentions Article 2. More importantly, Article 2 allows me to do whatever I want. Article 2 would have allowed me to fire him. So it sounds but like I wasn't going to fire You know why? because I watched Richard Nixon go around firing everybody, and that didn't work out too well. So, very simply, Article 2 would allow me to do. I could have done anything I wanted. I don't even bring it up, because we don't even get there. Absolutely, I have Article 2. It gives me all of these rights at a level that nobody has ever seen before. We don't even talk about Article 2. So, they rule no collusion, no Everybody, we're going to the villages in Ocala, Florida. We have a big crowd. We're going to be talking about health care. We're doing a lot of work on health care. We're very successful at it. And so we're going to be speaking to the great people of Florida. And I think uh, they're very happy with the job we're, we're doing. Yeah. What, what, exactly, what exactly are Tremendous power. What exactly did you hope Zelensky would do about 
Well, I would think that if they were honest about it, they'd start a major investigation into the Bidens. It's a very simple answer. Uh, they should investigate the Bidens, because how does a company that's newly formed and all these companies, if you look at and by the way, likewise, China should start an investigation into the Bidens, because what happened in China is just about as bad as what happened with, uh, with Ukraine. So I would say that President Zelensky, if it were me, I would recommend that they start an investigation into the Bidens, because nobody has any doubt that they weren't crooked. That was a crooked deal, 100%. He had no knowledge of energy, didn't know the first thing about it. All of a sudden, he's getting $50,000 a month, plus a lot of other things. Nobody has any doubt. And they got rid of a prosecutor who was a very tough prosecutor, they got rid of him. Now they're trying to make it the opposite way, but they got rid. So if I were the president, I would certainly recommend that of Ukraine. I haven't, but uh, it's certainly something we can start thinking about, because I'm sure that President Xi does not like being under that kind of scrutiny where billions of dollars is taken out of his country by a guy that just got kicked out of the Navy. He got kicked out of the Navy. All of a sudden, he's getting billions of dollars. You know what they call that? They call that a payoff. And basically, who are they really scamming? The USA, and it's not good. 
And that's probably why China, for so many years, has had a sweetheart deal where China rips off the USA because they deal like people with Biden, where they give the son a billion and a half dollars. And that's probably why China has such a sweetheart deal that for so many years they've been ripping off our country. We're looking at it. We're looking at it very closely. It's under study. We'll see. They want to talk, and we'll be talking to them soon. We'll see. So I'm going to, uh, yes? Why did you recall the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine? Was she a problem? Why did you recall her? I heard very bad things about her. And I don't know if I recalled her or somebody recalled her, but I heard very, very bad things about her for a long period of time. Not good. Thank you. I'll see you in Florida. I'll see you all in Florida. The Democratic leader. Madam President, may we have order, Madam President? So ordered. Thank you, Madam President. Now, in August, a public servant inside the intelligence community found the conduct of the President of the United States alarming enough to file an official whistleblower complaint. The Inspector General of the intelligence community found this whistleblower complaint both credible and urgent. By law, the Director of National Intelligence must forward such a complaint to the Congressional Intelligence Committees within seven days of receiving it. Congress has been informed by the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community in writing that the Trump administration is preventing that complaint from being sent to the relevant committees in Congress. Those are the facts, Madam President. The situation they describe is unacceptable. We know that the executive branch is blocking the legislative branch, a co-equal branch of our government, from performing its constitutional oversight duties. The fact that the whistleblower complaint concerns our national security, our foreign policy, and potential misconduct by the president makes the situation even more serious. So in a short time, I'll ask my colleagues' consent to pass a simple resolution. It essentially says, quote, that the whistleblower complaint received on August 12, 2019 by the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community shall be transmitted immediately to the Select Committee on Intelligence of the Senate and the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence of the House of Representatives." Unquote. I cannot imagine any legitimate or straight-faced reason for an objection to this unanimous consent request. The only reason for any senator to object would be to shield the president's con conduct from scrutiny by the public and the representatives they elect to represent them. That is, to protect the president from accountability. In a moment, I hope this resolution will pass without a single dissenting senator, and it should. The request, despite its non-controversial nature, speaks to the issues that go back to the founding days of our republic. Checks and balances, the separation of powers, the constitutional duty of the president and executive branch to faithfully execute the laws of the United States. 
the Senate today, right now, should speak with one unified voice to reaffirm those time-honored principles and defend the grand traditions of our democracy. So, Madam President, as if in legislative session, I ask unanimous consent that the Senate proceed to the immediate consideration of S. Resolution 325, introduced by Mr. Schumer and submitted earlier today. The clerk will report. Senate Resolution 325, expressing the sense of the Senate that the whistleblower complaint received on August 12, 2019, by the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community should be transmitted immediately to the Select Committee on Intelligence of the Senate and the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence of the House of Representatives. Is there objection to proceeding to the measure? Madam President, reserving the right to object. <clears throat> Majority uh, Leader. Colleagues, all of us share a concern for protecting whistleblowers who use appropriate established channels to raise legitimate concerns. The Senate's obligation is to treat such allegations in a responsible and deliberate manner, to avoid racing to judgment based on media leaks, to not fuel media speculation with breathless accusations. There's much we do not know about the complaint lodged with the intelligence community's inspector general, including whether the complaint involves intelligence activities at all. Before the Democratic leader elected to go to the media yesterday, the chairman and vice chair of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence had already been working together in a bipartisan manner, free from politicization, to get more information from both the acting director of national intelligence and the intelligence community's inspector general. Given the progress the committee was making, I don't believe this made-for-TV moment was actually necessary. I would have preferred the committee be allowed to do its work in a quiet, methodical manner. It doesn't serve the committee or its goals to litigate its business here on the floor or for the television cameras. Nevertheless, I agree that the DNI should make additional information available to the committee so it can evaluate the complaint consistent with the statute and other procedures that exist to safeguard classified and sensitive information. I also want to express my appreciation for President Trump's announcement that the White House will release tomorrow the complete, fully declassified, and unredacted transcript of his phone conversation with President Zelensky. I hope this will help refocus the conversation away from breathless speculation and back toward the facts. So, Stipulating that our objective here is simply to conduct the kind of bipartisan oversight of intelligence matters that the committee has successfully conducted in the past, I have no objection to the senator's request. Madam President. Without objection, the Senate will proceed to the measure. Madam President, Perhaps just three later. brief points. First, this resolution is not aimed at the Senate Intelligence Committees. Senator Burr and Warner do do a diligent job in trying to figure out what's going on. It is aimed at a thus far recalcitrant executive branch, which has blocked the ability for the committees to see the complaint 
even though law requires it. And second, it is welcome that we can join together to do our job of oversight. And I want to thank the majority leader for not blocking this request, because I think every one of us in this chamber realizes the importance of oversight and the need to prevent an overreaching executive from going that far. Getting the transcript is a good step, but is the complaint we need. That is the gravamen of this resolution. It is the whistleblower's complaint, not the transcript, that we need and are asking for in this resolution. And so I further ask that the resolution be agreed to and the motion to be reconsider be considered, made, and laid upon the table with no intervening action or debate. Is there objection? Without objection, so ordered. Party leader. I ask unanimous consent the remaining votes in the series be 10 minutes in length. Without objection. Congratulations on a great victory. We all watched from the United States, and you did a terrific job. The way you came from behind, somebody who wasn't given much of a chance, and you ended up winning easily. It's a fantastic achievement. Congratulations. You're absolutely right, Mr. President. We did win big, and we worked hard for this. We worked a lot, but I would like to confess to you that I had an opportunity to learn from you. We used quite a few of your skills and knowledge, and were able to use it as an example for our elections. And yes, it is true that these were unique elections. We were in a unique situation that we were able to achieve a unique success. I'm able to tell you the following. The first time you called me to congratulate me when I won my presidential election, and the second time you're now calling me when my party won the parliamentary election. I think I should run more often so you can call me more often and we can talk over the phone more often. That's a very good idea. I think your country is very happy about that. Well, yes, to tell you the truth, we are trying to work hard because we wanted to drain the swamp here in our country. We brought in many new people, not the old politicians, not the typical politicians, because we want to have a new format and a new type of government. You are a great teacher for us, and in that. Well, it's very nice of you to say that. I will say that we do a lot for Ukraine. We spend a lot of effort and a lot of time, much more than European countries are doing, and they should be helping you more than they are. Germany does almost nothing for you. All they do is talk, and I think it's something that you should really ask them about. When I was speaking with Angela Merkel, she talks about Ukraine, but doesn't do anything. A lot of the European countries are the same way. So I think it's something you want to look at, but the United States has been very, very good to Ukraine. I wouldn't say that it's reciprocal, necessarily, because things are happening that are not good, but the United States has been very, very good to Ukraine. Yes, you're absolutely right. Not only 100%, but actually 1,000%. And I can tell you the following. I did talk to Angela Merkel, and I did meet with her. I also met and talked with Macron, and I told them that they are not doing quite as much as they need to be doing on the issues with the sanctions. They're not enforcing the sanctions. They're not working as much as they should work for Ukraine. It turns out that even though logically the European Union should be our biggest partner, but technically the United States is a much bigger partner than the European Union. And I'm very grateful to you for that because the United States is doing quite a lot for Ukraine. Much more than the European Union, especially when we're talking about sanctions against the Russian Federation. 
I would also like to thank you for your great support in the area of defense. We're ready to continue to cooperate for the next steps. Specifically, we're almost ready to buy more javelins from the United States for defense purposes. I would like you to do us a favor, though, because our country has been through a lot, and Ukraine knows a lot about it. I would like you to find out what happened with this whole situation with Ukraine. They say CrowdStrike. I guess you have one of your wealthy people. The server, they say, Ukraine has it. There are a lot of things that went on, the whole situation. I think you're surrounding yourself with some of the same people. I would like to have the Attorney General call you or your people, and I would like you to get to the bottom of it. As you saw yesterday, that whole nonsense ended with a very poor performance by a man named Robert Mueller. An incompetent performance. But they say a lot of it started with Ukraine. Whatever you can do, it's very important that you do it if that's possible. Yes, it is very important for me and everything that you just mentioned earlier. For me as a president, it is very important, and we're open for any future cooperation. We're ready to open a new page on cooperation in relations between the United States and Ukraine. For that purpose, I just recalled our ambassador from the United States, and he will be replaced by a very competent and very experienced ambassador who will work hard on making sure that our two nations are getting closer. I would also like and hope to see him having your trust and your confidence and have personal relations with you so we can cooperate even more so. I will personally tell you that one of my assistants spoke with Mr. Giuliani just recently, and we're hoping very much that Mr. Giuliani will be able to travel to Ukraine will meet once he comes to Ukraine. I just wanted to assure you once again that you have nobody but friends around us. I'll make sure that I surround myself with the best and most experienced people. I also wanted to tell you that we are friends. We are great friends and you Mr. President have friends in our country so we can continue our strategic partnership. I also plan to surround myself with great people and in addition to that investigation, I guarantee as the president of Ukraine that all the investigations will be done openly and candidly. That I can assure you. Good, because I heard you had a prosecutor who was very good and he was shut down and that's really unfair. A lot of people are talking about that, the way they shut your very good prosecutor down and you had some very bad people involved. Mr. Giuliani is a highly respected man. He was the mayor of New York City great mayor, and I would like him to call you. I will ask him to call you along with the Attorney General. Rudy very much knows what's happening, and he is a very capable guy. If you could speak to him, that would be great. The former ambassador from the United States, the woman, was bad news, and the people she was dealing with in the Ukraine were bad news. So I just want to let you know that. The other thing, there's a lot of talk about Biden's son that Biden stopped the prosecution, and a lot of people want to find out about that. So whatever you can do with the Attorney General would be great. Biden went around bragging that he stopped the prosecution. So if you can look into it, it sounds horrible to me. I want to tell you about the prosecutor. First of all, I understand and I'm knowledgeable about the situation. Since we have won the absolute majority in our parliament, the next Prosecutor General will be 100% my person, my candidate will be approved by the parliament and will start as a new prosecutor in September. He or she will look into the situation specifically to the company that you mentioned in this issue. The issue of the investigation of the case is actually the issue of making sure to restore the honesty. So we will take care of that and we will work on the investigation of the case. On top of that, I would kindly ask you if you have any additional information that you can provide to us. It would be very helpful for the investigation to make sure that we administer justice in our country with regard to the ambassador to the United States from Ukraine. As far as I recall, her name was Ivanovich. 
It was great that you were the first one who told me that she was a bad ambassador, because I agree with you 100%. Her attitude towards me was far from the best, and she admired the previous president, and she was on his side. She would not accept me as a new president well enough. Well, she's going to go through some things. I will have Mr. Giuliani give you a call, and I'm also going to have Attorney General Barr call, and we will get to the bottom of it. I am sure you will figure it out. I heard the prosecutor was treated very badly, and he was a very fair prosecutor. So good luck with everything. Your economy is going to get better and better, I predict. You have a lot of assets. It's a great country. I have many Ukrainian friends. They're incredible people. I would like to tell you that I also have quite a few Ukrainian friends that live in the United States. Actually, last time I traveled to the United States, I stayed in New York near Central Park, and I stayed at the Trump Tower. I'll talk to them, and I hope to see them again in the future. I also wanted to thank you for your invitation to visit the United States, specifically Washington, D.C. On the other hand, I also want to ensure you that we will be very serious about the case and will work on the investigation. As to the economy, there's much potential for our two countries, and one of the issues that is very important for Ukraine is energy independence. I believe we can be very successful in cooperating on energy independence with the United States. We're already working on cooperation. We're buying American oil, but I'm very hopeful for a future meeting. We'll have more time and more opportunities to discuss these opportunities and get to know each other better. I would like to thank you very much for your support. Good. Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate that. I will tell Rudy and Attorney General Barr to call. Thank you. Whenever you would like to come to the White House, feel free to call. Give us a date, and we'll work it out. I look forward to seeing you. Thank you very much. I'll be very happy to come and would be happy to meet with you personally and get to know you better. I'm looking forward to our meeting and I would also like to invite you to visit Ukraine and come to the city of Kiev, which is a beautiful city. We have a beautiful country which would welcome you. On the other hand, I believe that on September 1st, we'll be in Poland and we can meet in Poland, hopefully. After that, it might be a very good idea for you to travel to Ukraine. We can either take my plane and go to Ukraine, or we can take your plane, which is probably much better than mine. Okay, we can work that out. I look forward to seeing you in Washington, and maybe in Poland, because I think we are going to be there at the same time. Thank you very much, Mr. President. Congratulations on a fantastic job you've done. The whole world was watching. I'm not sure it was much of an upset, but congratulations. Thank you, Mr. President. Bye-bye. August 12th, 2019. Honorable Richard Burr, Chairman, Select Committee on Intelligence, United States Senate. The Honorable Adam Schiff, Chairman, Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, United States House of Representatives. Dear Chairman Burr and Chairman Schiff, I am reporting an urgent concern in accordance with the procedures outlined in 50 USC 3033K5A. This letter is unclassified when separated from the attachment. In the course of my official duties, I have received information from multiple US government officials that the President of the United States is using the power of his office to solicit interference from a foreign country in the 2020 U.S. election. This interference includes 
among other things, pressuring a foreign country to investigate one of the president's main domestic political rivals. The president's personal lawyer, Mr. Rudolph Giuliani, is a central figure in this effort. Attorney General Barr appears to be involved as well. Two bullet points. Over the past four months, more than half a dozen U.S. officials have informed me of various facts related to this effort. The information provided herein was relayed to me in the course of official interagency business. It is routine for U.S. officials with responsibility for a particular region or function, functional portfolio to share such information with one another in order to inform policy making and analysis. I was not a direct witness to most of the events described. However, I found my colleagues' accounts of these events to be credible because in almost all cases, multiple officials recounted fact patterns that were consistent with one another. In addition, a variety of, inf of information consistent with these private accounts has been reported publicly. I am deeply concerned that the actions described below constitute a serious or flagrant problem, abuse, or violation of law or executive order that does not include differences of opinions concerning public policy matters. Consistent with the definition of an urgent concern in 50 U.S.C. 3033 K5G. I am therefore fulfilling my duty to report this information through proper legal channels to the relevant authorities. I am also concerned that these actions pose risks to U.S. national security and undermine the U.S. government's efforts to deter and counter foreign interference in U.S. elections. To the best of my knowledge, the entirety of this statement is unclassified when separated from the classified enclosure. I have endeavored to apply the classification standards outlined in Executive Order 13526 and to separate out information that I know I have reason to believe is classified for national security purposes. If a classification marking is applied retroactively, I believe it is incumbent upon the classifying authority to explain why such a marketing a marking was applied and to which specific information it pertains. The 25th of July presidential phone call. Early in the morning of 25th of July, the president spoke by telephone with Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. I do not know which side initiated the call. This was the first publicly acknowledged call between the two leaders since a brief congratulatory call after Mr. Zelensky won the presidency on the 21st of April. Multiple White House officials with direct knowledge of the call informed me that after an initial exchange of pleasantries, the president used the remainder of the call to advance his personal interests. 
Namely, he sought to pressure the Ukrainian leader to take actions to help the president's 2020 re-election bid. According to the White House officials who had direct knowledge of the call, the president pressured Mr. Zelensky to inter alia. These three bullet points. Initiate or continue an investigation into the activities of former Vice President Joseph Biden and his son Hunter Biden. Assist in purportedly uncovering that allegations of Russia, Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. presidential election originated in Ukraine, with a specific request that the Ukrainian leader locate and turn over servers used by the Democratic National Committee, DNC, and examined by the U.S. cybersecurity firm CrowdStrike which initially reported that Russian hackers had penetrated the DNC's networks in 2016 and meet or speak with two people the president named explicitly as his personal envoys on these matters, Mr. Giuliani and Attorney General Barr, to whom the president referred multiple times in tandem. Apart from the information in the enclosure, it is my belief that none of the information contained herein meets the definition of classified information outlined in EO 13526, Part 1, Section 1.1. There is ample open source information about the efforts I described below, including statements by the President and Mr. Giuliani. In addition, based on my personal observations, there is discretion with respect to the classification of private comments by or instructions from the president, including his communications with foreign leaders. Information that is not related to U.S. foreign policy or national security, such as the information contained in this document, when separated from the enclosure is generally treated as unclassified. I also believe that applying a classification marking to this information would violate EO 13526 Part 1, Section 1.7, which states, In no case shall information be classified, continue to be maintained as classified, or fail to be declassified in order to, one, conceal violations of law, inefficiency, or administrative error, two, prevent embarrassment to a person, organization, or agency, it is unclear whether such a Ukrainian investigation exists. See footnote number 7 for additional information. I do not know why the president associates these servers with Ukraine. See the example, his comments to Fox News on 20th of July and Ukraine. Take a look at Ukraine. How come the FBI didn't take this server? Podesta told them to get out. He said, get out. So how come the FBI didn't take the server from the DNC? The president also praised Ukraine's prosecutor general. Mr. Yuri Lysenko, the president also praised Ukraine's prosecutor general, Mr. Yuri Lysenko, and suggested that Mr. Zelensky might want to keep him in his position. Note, starting in March 2019, Mr. Lusenko made a series of public allegations, many of which he later walked back, about the Biden family's activities in Ukraine. 
Ukrainian officials' purported involvement in the 2016 U.S. election, and the activities of the U.S. Embassy in Kyiv. See Part 4 for additional context. The White House officials who told me this information were very deeply disturbed by what had transpired in the call. They told me that there was already a discussion ongoing with White House lawyers about how to treat the call because of the likelihood in the officials retelling that they had witnessed the a president abuse his office for personal gain. The Ukrainian side was the first to publicly acknowledge the phone call. On the evening of 25th of July, a readout was posted on the website of the Ukrainian president that contained the following line. Translation from original Russian language readout. Donald Trump expressed his conviction that the new Ukrainian government will be able to quickly improve Ukraine's image and complete the investigation of corruption cases that have held back cooperation between Ukraine and the United States. Aside from the above-mentioned cases, reportedly dealing with the Biden family in the 2016 U.S. election, I was told by the White House officials that no other cases were discussed. Based on my understanding, there were approximately a dozen White House officials who listened to the call. A mixture of policy officials and duty officers in the White House Situation Room, as is customary. The officials I spoke with told me that participation in the call had not been restricted in advance because everyone expected it would be a routine call with a foreign leader. I do not know whether anyone was physically present with the president during the call. In addition to the White House personnel, I was told that a State Department official, Mr. T. Ulrich Breckbull, was listening in on the call. I was not the only non-White House official to receive a readout of the call. Based on my understanding, multiple State Department and intelligence community officials were also briefed on the contents of the call as outlined above. Two, efforts to restrict access to records related to the call. In the days following the phone call, I learned from multiple U.S. officials that senior White House officials had intervened to lock down all records of the phone call, especially the official word-for-word -word transcript of the call that was produced, as is customary by the White House Situation Room. This set of actions underscored to me that White House officials understood the gravity of what had transpired in the call. White House officials told me that they were directed by White House lawyers to remove the electronic transcript from the computer system in which such calls were typically stored for coordination, finalization, and distribution to cabinet-level officials. Instead, of, instead, the transcript was loaded into a separate electronic system that is otherwise used to store and handle classified information of an especially sensitive nature. One White House official described this act as an abuse of the electronic system because the call did not contain anything remotely sensitive from a national security perspective. I do not know whether similar measures were taken to restrict access to other call records of the call, such as contemporaneous handwritten notes taken by those who listened in. Three, ongoing concerns. 
on 26th of July, a day after the call, U.S. Special Representative for Ukraine negotiations, Kurt Volker, visited, visited Kyiv and met with President Zelensky and a variety of Ukrainian political figures. Ambassador Volker was accompanied in his meetings by U.S. Ambassador to the European Union, Gordon Sondland. Based on multiple readouts of these meetings recounted to me by various U.S. officials, Ambassadors Volker and Sondland reportedly provided advice to the Ukrainian leadership about how to navigate the demands that the President had made of Mr. Zelensky. I also learned from multiple U.S. officials that on or about the 2nd of August, Mr. Giuliani reportedly traveled to Madrid to meet with one of President Zelensky's advisors, Andrei Yermak. The U.S. officials characterized this meeting, which was not reported publicly at the time, as a direct follow-up to the President's call with Mr. Zelensky about the cases they had discussed. Separately, multiple U.S. officials told me that Mr. Giuliani had reportedly privately reached out to a variety of other Zelensky advisors, including Chief of Staff Andrei Bodin and Acting Chairman of the Security Service of Ukraine, Ivan Bak. I do not know whether those officials met or spoke with Mr. Giuliani, but I was told separately by multiple U.S. officials that Mr. Yermak and Mr. Bakanov intended to travel to Washington in mid-August. On the 9th of August, the president told reporters, I think President Zelensky is going to make a deal with President Putin and he will be invited to the White House and we look forward to seeing him. He's already been invited to the White House and he wants to come, and I think he will. He's a very reasonable guy. He wants to see peace in Ukraine, and I think he will be coming very soon, actually. Circumstances leading up to the 25th of July presidential phone call. Beginning in late March 2019, a series of articles appeared in an online publication called The Hill. In these articles, several Ukrainian official, officials, most notably Prosecutor General Yuri Lysenko, made a series of allegations against other Ukrainian officials and current and former U.S. officials. Mr. Lysenko and his colleagues alleged inter alia. Um, in a report published, by, this is a, a footnote, in a report published by the Organized Crime and Corruption reporting project OCCRP on 22nd of July, two associates of Mr. Giuliani reportedly traveled to Kyiv in May 2019 and met with Mr. Bakanov and another close Zelensky advisor, Mr. Serhai Schaefer. Okay, here are the Mr. Lusenko and his colleagues alleged inter alia that they had possessed evidence that Ukrainian officials, namely head of the National Anti-Corruption Bureau of Ukraine, Artem Sitnik, and member of Parliament Siri Lushchenko, had interfered in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. 
allegedly in collaboration with the DNC and the U.S. Embassy in Kyiv. And the U.S. Embassy in Kyiv, specifically U.S. Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch, who had criticized Mr. Lusenko's organization for its poor record on fighting corruption, had allegedly obstructed Ukrainian law enforcement agencies' pursuit of corruption cases, including by providing a do-not-prosecute list, and had blocked Ukrainian prosecutors from traveling to the United States expressly to prevent them from delivering their evidence about the 2016 U.S. election, and that former Vice President Biden had pressured former Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko in 2016 to fire then-Ukrainian Prosecutor General Viktor Shokin in order to quash a purported criminal probe into Burisma Holdings, a Ukrainian energy company on whose board the former Vice President's son, Hunter, sat. In several public comments, Mr. Lusenko also stated that he wished to communicate directly with Attorney General Barr on these matters. The allegations by Mr. Lusenko came on the eve of the first round of Ukraine's presidential election on the 31st of March. By that time, Mr. Lusenko's political patron, President Poroshenko, was trailing Mr. Zelensky in the polls and appeared likely to be defeated. Mr. Zelensky had made known his desire to replace Mr. Lusenko as Prosecutor General. On the 21st of April, Mr. Poroshenko lost the runoff to Mr. Zelensky by a landslide. See enclosure for additional information. Okay, so here's the footnotes. Mr. Sitnik and Mr. Lushenko are two of Mr. Lushenko's main domestic rivals. By Mr. Lushenko has no legal training and has been widely criticized in Ukraine for politicizing criminal probes and using his tenure as prosecutor general to protect corrupt Ukrainian officials. He has publicly feuded with Mr. Sitnik, who heads Ukraine's only competent anti-corruption body, and Mr. Lushenko, a former investigative journalist who has repeatedly criticized Mr. Lusenko's record. In December 2018, a Ukrainian court upheld a complaint by a member of parliament, Mr. Borislav Rosenblatt, who alleged that Mr. Sitnik and Mr. Lushenko had interfered in the 2016 U.S. election by publicizing a document detailing corrupt payments made by former Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych before his ouster in 2014. So a Ukrainian court upheld a complaint that those two that alleged that those two had interfered in the 2016 US election. Mr. Rosenblatt had originally filed the motion in late 2017 after attempting to flee Ukraine amid an investigation into his taking of a large bribe. On 16th of July 2019, Mr. Leshchenko publicly stated that a Ukrainian 
court had overturned the lower court's decision. Mr. Lysenko later told Ukrainian news outlet The Babel on 17th of April that Ambassador, Ambassador Yovanovitch had never provided such a list and that he was, in fact, the one who had request, requested such a list. Mr. Lysenko later told Bloomberg on 16th of May that former Vice President Biden and his son were not subject to any current Ukrainian investigations and that he had no evidence against them. Other senior Ukrainian officials also contested his original allegations. One former senior Ukrainian prosecutor told Bloomberg on 7th of May that Mr. Shokin, in fact, was not investigating Burisma at the time of his removal in 2016. See, for example, Mr. Lusenko's comments to The Hill on 1 and 7 of April and his interview with the Babel on 17th of April, in which he stated that he had spoken with Mr. Giuliani about arranging contact with Attorney General Barr. In May, Attorney General Barr announced that he was initiating a probe into the origins of the Russia investigation. According to the above-referenced OCCRP report, 22nd of July, two associates of Mr. Giuliani claimed to be working with Ukrainian officials to uncover information that would become part of this inquiry. In an interview with Fox News on 8th of August, Mr. Giuliani claimed that Mr. John Durham, whom Attorney General Barr designated to lead this probe, was spending a lot of time in Europe because he was investigating Ukraine. I do not know the extent to which, if at all, Mr. Giuliani is directly coordinating his efforts on Ukraine with Attorney General Barr or Mr. Durham. It was, okay, so now back to seeing closure for additional information. Okay. It was also publicly reported that Mr. Giuliani had met on at least two occasions with Mr. Lusenko, once in New York in late January and again in Warsaw in mid-February. In addition, it was publicly reported that Mr. Giuliani had spoken in late 2018 to former Prosecutor General Shokin in a Skype call arranged by two associates with Mr. Giuliani. In the 25th of July... I mean, of April, on 25th of April, in an interview with Fox News, the president called Mr. Lusenko's claims big and incredible and stated that the attorney general would want to see this. On or about 29th of April, I learned from U.S. officials with direct knowledge of the situation that Ambassador Yovanovitch had been suddenly recalled to Washington by senior State Department officials for consultations and would likely be removed from her position position. Around that same time, I also learned from a U.S. official that associates of Mr. Giuliani were trying to make contact with the incoming Zelensky team. On 6th of May, the State Department announced that Ambassador Yovanovitch would be ending her assignment in Kyiv as planned. However, several U.S. officials told me that in fact her tour was curtailed because of pressure stemming from Mr. Lusenko's allegations. Mr. Giuliani subsequently stated in an interview that Ukrainian, with Ukrainian 
journalist published on 14th of May that Ambassador Yovanovitch was removed because she was part of the effort, efforts against the president. On 9th of May, the New York Times reported that Mr. Giuliani planned to travel to Ukraine to press the Ukrainian government to pursue investigations that would help the president in his 2020 re-election bid. In his multitude of public statements leading up to and in the wake of the publication of this article, Mr. Giuliani confirmed that he was focused on encouraging Ukrainian authorities to pursue investigations into alleged Ukrainian interference in the 2016 U.S. election and alleged wrongdoing by the Biden family. On the afternoon of the 10th of May, the president stated in an interview with Politico that he planned to speak with Mr. Giuliani about the trip. A few hours later, Mr. Giuliani publicly canceled his trip, claiming that Mr. Zelensky was surrounded by enemies of the U.S. President and of the United States. On the 11th of May, Mr. Lusenko met for two hours with President-elect Zelensky, according to a public account given several days later by Mr. Lusenko. Mr. Lusenko publicly stated that he had told Mr. Zelensky that he wished to remain as Prosecutor General. See, for example, the above-referenced articles in Bloomberg, 16th of May, and OCCRP, 26th of July. I do not know whether these associates of Mr. Giuliani were the same individuals named in the 22nd July report of OCCRP, referenced above. See, for example, Mr. Giuliani's appearance on Fox News on 6th of April, and his tweets on 23rd of April and 10th of May. In his interview with the New York Times, Mr. Giuliani stated that the president basically knows what I'm doing. Sure, as his lawyer. Mr. Giuliani also stated, we're not meddling in an election, we're meddling in an investigation, which we have the right to do. There's nothing illegal about it. Somebody could say it's improper and this isn't foreign policy. I'm asking them to do an investigation that they're already, that they're doing already, and that other people are telling them to stop. And I'm going to give them reasons why they shouldn't stop it because that information will be very, very helpful to my client and may turn out to be helpful to my government. Starting in mid-May, I heard from multiple U.S. officials that they were deeply concerned by what they viewed as Mr. Giuliani's circumvention of national security decision-making processes to engage the Ukrainian Ukrainian officials and relay informations back, relay messages back and forth between Kyiv and the president. These officials also told me that State Department officials, including ambassadors Volker and Sutherland, had spoken with Mr. Giuliani in an attempt to contain the damage to U.S. national security and that ambassadors Volker and Sondland during this time period met with members of the new Ukrainian administration and in addition to discussing policy matters sought to help Ukrainian leaders understand and respond to the differing messages they were receiving from official U.S. channels in the one hand and from Mr. Giuliani on the other. During this same time frame, multiple U.S. officials told me that the Ukrainian leadership was led to believe that a meeting or phone call between the President and President Zelensky would depend on whether Zelensky showed willingness to play ball. 
upon the issues that had been publicly aired by Mr. Lusenko and Mr. Giuliani. Note, this was the general understanding of the state of affairs as conveyed to me by U.S. officials from late May into early July. I do not know who delivered this message to the Ukrainian leadership or when. See enclosure for additional information. Shortly after President Zelensky's inauguration, it was publicly reported that Mr. Giuliani met with two other Ukrainian officials. Ukraine's special anti-corruption prosecutor, Mr. Nazar Kalanenskiy, and former Ukrainian diplomat named Andrei Telezenko. Both Mr. Kalanenskiy and Mr. Telezenko are allies of Mr. Lusenko and made similar allegations in the above-mentioned series of articles in The Hill. On 13th of June, the president told ABC's George Stephanopoulos that he would accept damaging information on his political rivals from a foreign government. On 21st of June, Mr. Giuliani tweeted, New Prez of Ukraine still silent on investigation of Ukrainian interference in 2016 and alleged Biden bribery of Poroshenko. Time for leadership and investigate both if you want to purge how Ukraine was abused by Hillary and Clinton people. In mid-July, I learned of a sudden change of policy with, res with respect to U.S. assistance for Ukraine. See enclosure for additional information. Okay, here's a classified appendix. Supplementary classified information to provide as follows. Additional information related to Section 2. According to multiple White House officials I spoke with, the transcript of the President's call with, Mr. with President Zelensky was placed into a computer system managed directly by the National Security Council, Directorate for Na Intelligence Programs. This is a standalone computer system reserved for code word level intelligence information such as covert action. According to information I received from White House officials, some officials voiced concerns internally that this would be an abuse of the system and was not consistent with the responsibilities of the Directorate for Intelligence Programs. According to White House officials I spoke with, this was not the first time under this administration that a presidential transcript was placed into this code word level system solely for the purpose of protecting politically sensitive rather than national security sensitive information. Additional information related to section four. I would like to expand upon two issues mentioned in section four that might have a connection with the overall effort to pressure the Ukrainian leadership as I do not know definitively whether the below mentioned decisions are connected to the broader efforts I described. I described. I have chosen to include them in the classified annex. If they indeed represent genuine policy deliberations and decisions formulated to advance U.S. foreign policy and national security, one might be able to make reasonable case that the facts are classified. I learned from U.S. officials that on or around 14th of May, the President instructed Vice President Pence to cancel his planned travel to Ukraine to attend President Zelensky's inauguration on 
20th of May. Secretary of Energy Rick Perry led the delegation instead. According to these officials, it was also made clear to them that the president did not want to meet with Mr. Zelensky until he saw how Zelensky chose to act in office. I do not know how this guidance was communicated or by whom. I also do not know whether this action was connected with the broader understanding described in the unclassified letter. That a meeting or phone call between the president and President Zelensky would depend on whether Zelensky showed willingness to play ball on the issues that had been publicly aired by Mr. Lusenko and Mr. Giuliani. On the 18th of July, an Office of Management and Budget official informed departments of, and agencies that the president earlier that month had issued instructions to inspend, suspend all U.S. security assistance to Ukraine. Neither OMB nor the NSC staff knew why this instruction had been issued. During interagency meetings on 23rd of July and 26th of July, OMB officials again stated explicitly that the instruction to suspend this assistance had come directly from the president, but they still were unaware of policy rationale. As of early August, I heard from U.S. officials that some Ukrainian officials were aware that U.S. aid might be in jeopardy, but I do not know how or when they learned of it. Hunter has had a tumultuous personal life, and now he's caught in the eye of the impeachment storm. Five, six million to a son who's a seriously uh, incompetent person who got uh, put on a board of the most corrupt company in Ukraine. Rudy, the question I, about I have, this... I have the, yeah. records, I have the records of a $3 million laundered payment to Mr. Biden's son. Joe Biden denies any wrongdoing by him or his son. You should be looking at Trump. Trump's doing this because he knows I'll beat him like a drum. This is the Los Angeles apartment building where Hunter Biden married his second wife, yoga enthusiast Melissa Cohen, in a rooftop ceremony last May. They knew each other just 10 days, and it was such a whirlwind romance, Joe Biden wasn't even there. The presidential candidate gave his blessing in a phone call just minutes before the ceremony was held. Hunter Biden has struggled all of his life to match the accomplishments of his late brother Bo, a decorated war hero. After the breakup of Hunter's marriage and Bo's death from brain cancer in 2015, eyebrows were raised when Hunter began dating his late brother's widow. In a revealing interview with the New Yorker magazine, Hunter revealed he hit rock bottom on drugs and alcohol. I wouldn't drink for 30 days, and on day 31, I'd be right back to it. Now every corner of his life is coming under scrutiny and leading to some extraordinary heated exchanges. Shut up, Rudy. Shut up. Shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about, idiot. I do. I'm about to bring out uh, the president, but I want to start by thanking him for being with us during what is a very busy week every year, the opening of the UN, but because of all the turmoil in the world is a particularly busy week this year. He's been part of our annual meeting every year since 2008, and I'm very grateful for that. It reflects his lifetime commitment to and belief in citizen activism. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was honored to join the president at the White House to celebrate the 20th anniversary of AmeriCorps. It was...
to our discussion about the increased progress. Thank you all. How did he become president? By using Channel 5 news station, Channel 5, um, to increase the Euro Maiden protests. This is what overthrew the president. This was also partly financed by George Soros. There is George Soros evidence of this, admittance. Let's continue. First question is tell people here what you want every person to know about where you are now, what your major challenges are, and what kind of support you need. First of all, thank you very much, Mr. President, for this unique opportunity to address for more than a thousand people from the United States and all over the world about the very important for the global security and for the global peace and for the global democracy situation in Ukraine. 
I very appreciate and I have an opportunity to participate previously in the Clinton Global Initiative in different places, starting from Hong Kong and different other places. But I think now we, after the annex of the Crimea, after the aggression in East... How did uh, Poroshenko become president? Well, along... <clears throat> okay, so, along with his, his Channel 5, he was able to influence people, the media. Look at how we have been influenced to completely miss this. Why isn't anyone investigating this? Of Ukraine. Why aren't we reporters looking? We in a different world. And I want to, if you ask him very short about the things, what we need from you, from the world, the answer is very simple. If this was Donald Trump, what would we do? Only two things. Point number one. We need transatlantic unity. We need a unity. If this would have been Donald Trump working with uh, um, President-elect uh, when he was running for President Zelensky. I mean, the President Zelensky. If, if this would have been... Donald Trump, and while Zelensky was running, if this would have been his wife, which would have been a former president. It's so crazy. Just look at what, I mean, just connect the dots yourself. I can't even, they're so crazy, I can't even connect them properly in this situation because it's so unique and special that a former president and his wife and Yale and Hunter Biden and- Between US, Canada, European Union, Australia, Japan, the whole world. Yale lawyers are going to be the smartest lawyers in the world. They're going to be able to manipulate laws better than anyone else in the entire world. And point number two, we need a solidarity with Ukraine. With Ukrainian people who are fighting for peace, democracy, not only for the sovereignty, not only for the territorial integrity, not only for the independence of our country, we're fighting for the freedom and democracy. We're fighting for the... Oh. We're fighting for the opportunity for the Ukrainian people, which was strongly demonstrated in the, our revolution of dignity in the November year 2013, when people want that Ukraine be a European country. We want to have open door for the European Union, for the Ukrainian people, which already passed the most important exam and test for peace and democracy. And we want that the fate of Ukrainian people sold by Ukrainian people, not in Moscow. We hate the idea to ask the permission from President Putin to be the European nation because we are the European nation. And again, we pay for that a huge price. Six and a half civilian, almost two and a half Ukrainian hero, Ukrainian soldiers give their lives to have this opportunity. One and a half million internally displaced persons 
just want to compare these figures with the migration crisis in the whole European Union. The only one country, Ukraine, because of the aggression of Russia on the east of my country, because of the annexation of the Crimea, has a crisis with the one and a half million internally displaced persons. And we do our best to defend our country and to make the reform. And I said that the war in my country is not the reason to stop the reform. And for a very short period of the time, less than a year, when I declare the early parliamentary election and we elect a new parliament, we launch a very important reform with my country which we never had before. The reform of the decentralization, bringing the power to the people, the, the decisive reform for fighting against corruption. We launch the new, very open and very transparent anti-corruption bureau. And a few days ago, I introduced the first detective from the Anti-Corruption Bureau, which was uh, had this opportunity after very tight competition, open and transparent. And now we move from the General Prosecutor Office to the Anti-Corruption Bureau, all the corruption cases. And we create the new agency preventing the corruption in our government. I launched the constitutional changes for the uh, court reform, which helped me to build up the new independent court system, which can help me to defend the human rights and create the unique investment climate in Ukraine. We launch reform in the healthcare and education. No matter, we're just implementing all the things which we agreed with our association. Zelensky is a comedian turned president that beat this guy 73% in a legitimate election. How did he beat this guy? Because Ukraine believes this man is corrupt. He's in like 12 criminal investigations. Don't quote me on this. It's just he's corrupt, corrupt, corrupt. There's no way this man is not corrupt. He colluded with the Hillary Clinton campaign as the president of Ukraine. He interfered in the election. This, these people influenced. Now, this guy was a comedian. Uh, uh, he played a teacher that became president after ranting about the corrupt government. A student recorded a teacher ranting about a corrupt government, and then he became president. Now, Zelensky is the real new president of Ukraine beat this guy with like 73% of the vote in a real election. Negotiation agreement with the European Union, which I'm proud to sign exactly one year ago in July. Uh, in Brussels. He just brought up Joe Biden. It was ratified on the September 16th. He just said Joe Biden. Synchronized by the European Parliament and Parliament of Ukraine. So, again, what we need? We need the top of Ukraine 
would be on the top priority of the world democracy, on the United States. And the question of Syria, question of the ISIS, question of the crisis in the Middle East, question of the North Korea, and other problems, do not remove Ukraine from your top attention. Because these 45 million people want to be and would be the European nation with the highest democracy and freedom standard. Thank you. Russian operatives? This is a Ukraine president. Russian operatives? This is the Ukrainian president, one of the most corrupt governments. One of the most corrupt countries in the world. Yes, it's not rated as corrupt as Russia, but it's one of the most corrupt. This is completely not right. The Mueller report, it mentions Russia 1,611 times, Manafort 485 times, Ukraine was mentioned 96 times, and former Ukraine President Viktor Yanukovych, this guy that was illegally overthrown and had to go to Russia for protection, he was illegally overthrown by, funded by Soros, George Soros and Petro Poroshenko. There's evidence of this. This is not just conspiracy theory. It's legitimate evidence. I mean, right here is video proof. You've got to go through this document and understand what the heck happened. Capacity she can, in fact, dictate to tailored data to be able to give you a better answer than I have now, which is I don't think Russia can, in fact, dictate to Iran what happens in, in Syria. And I don't think Russia has the capacity the capacity to do the things almost everyone would agree, even if it is the continued leadership stays in place, to make the kind of multi-billion dollar investment needed to stabilize that country. So uh, I can't help you with the airplane, but uh, CFR.org. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. No, no, I get it. Go to, uh, but I don't want to acknowledge you guys are spying on the intelligence agency. Before I call, before, I just want to put one other issue on the floor before I get one, another question or two, which is Ukraine. This administration, unlike the administration you worked in, decided to provide limited defense articles to Ukraine. Do you think that was a wise decision? And more broadly, do you see any scope? for any sort of a deal on eastern Ukraine? The answer is yes, I think it was a wise decision. But then again, I was pushing that for two years before we left. So, And the reason is, I think the more you up the ante, the cost to Russia for their aggression. I mean, as you all know, and you know this better than anybody, um, you know, the one big lie going on about Ukraine back in, uh, in, in the rest of Russia is that no Russian soldiers are engaged, they're not dying, no body bags are coming home, etc., because there's overwhelming opposition on the part of the body politic in Russia for engagement in Ukraine in a military sense. Um, uh, do I think there, I think the Donbass has potential to be able to be solved, but it takes two things. 
one of those things is missing now, and that is I'm desperately concerned about the backsliding on the part of uh, uh, Kiev in terms of corruption. They made, I mean, I'll, I'll give you one concrete example. I, I, I was, not I, I, but it just happened to be that was the assignment I got. I, I, I got all the good ones. Uh, and uh, so I got Ukraine. And uh, um, I remember going over convincing our team, our brothers, to convincing us that we should be providing for loan guarantees. And I went over... I guess the 12th, 13th time to Kiev, and uh, and I was going supposed to announce that there was another billion dollar loan guarantee, and I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had they were walking out to the press conference. Said, no, nah. I said I'm not going to, we're not going to give you the billion dollars. They said you have no authority. You're not the president. The president said. I said call him. I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting a billion dollars. I said, you're not getting a billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> got fired. And they put in place someone who was solid at the time. Well, there's still, they, so they made some genuine, s- substantial changes institutionally and with people. But, in one of the three institutions, there's now some backsliding. The courts are there, and the court, yes, and they had made that commitment that they wouldn't do that. And so when we left, the first thing I spent uh, um, a lot of time, as did Mike, because this was his territory as well, and uh, people like Charlie Cupton and Victoria. And anyway, there there were a lot of good people we had working on this. We spent a lot of time with Vice President Pence because I was worried that um, they would make a mistake as a, a there would be a sin of omission rather than commission, failing to do certain things or say certain things. And that was at the time when there was an alleged, uh, there, there was a grave concern among the foreign policy elite that maybe a deal was made to lift sanctions. Um, whether that was true or not, but that was the atmosphere right after the election. And, um, and so what happened was uh, um, they did some good things, and they now, what's his name, the guy uh, uh, they have over there? Uh, Kurt Volker. Kurt Volker, solid, solid guy. But um, uh, Kurt, as a best of my knowledge, does not have the authority or the ability to go in and say, you don't straighten this up, we're, you're out of here. Because, look, it all gets down to a simple proposition. We spent so much time, as you know, because I went for you and to you for advice. We spent so much time on the phone making sure that everyone from, at the time, Olam to Renzi to, wouldn't walk away. They wanted no part of these sanctions on Russia. It had an impact on them. It was basically, you got to do that. And thank God Merkel was strong enough at the time to, reluctantly, she didn't like it either, uh, to to stand w- with us, but always worked in Kiev. And I said, look, it's a simple proposition. If, in fact, you do not continue to show progress in terms of corruption, you we are not going to be able to hold the rest of Europe on these sanctions. And Russia is not going to roll across the, the inner line here and take over the rest of the country with their tanks. What they're going to do is they're going to take your economy down. 
you're going to be absolutely buried and you're going to be done. And that's when it all goes to hell. And but the best of my knowledge, even and I have. It's a very difficult spot to be in now when foreign leaders call me. And they do, because I've never, ever, ever would say anything negative to a foreign leader. And I mean this sincerely about a sitting president, no matter how fundamentally I disagree with them. And it is not my role, not my role to make foreign policy. But the questions across the board range from what the hell's going on, Joe, to what advice do you have for me? And my advice always is to get, I give them names of individuals in the administration who I think to be knowledgeable and, 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 and committed. And I say, you should talk to so-and-so. You should. And what I do in every one of those times, I first call the vice president and tell him I received the call. Tell him and ask him whether he has any, any, any objection to my returning the call. And then what is the administration's position, if any, they want me to communicate uh, to that country. But the point is, there is no pressure that I'm aware of, correct me if I'm wrong, no pressure I'm aware of on the present leadership in Ukraine to hold them together to be able to continue. Vice President Pence should be investigated because he's next in line. Oh. My. God. You what looked like was a real possibility of turning Minsk into something that was doable by being much tougher than Germany wanted us to be. But we were moving in that direction. But now it looks like the pressure's off. And it requires just day to day to day. Can I just jump in? This may be my only chance, but just on... on. Actually, you're going to get something you didn't expect. You're going to get the last word. Okay. Well, just on... So on the Donbass, um, uh, and I completely agree with everything the vice president said, because I think that's actually the major issue right now, is helping Ukraine succeed. And if they don't succeed internally in terms of fighting corruption and establishing rule of law, then, then it's a lost cause. But on Donbass, I truly believe Putin's play here is to turn the Don... He would be happy with a negotiated resolution to the Donbass. But as long as the Donbass is turned into something akin to Republika Srpska in Bosnia, if he doesn't get that, we're going to see the low boil, we're going to see the fighting continue, and we're going to see, more importantly, the dirty money flowing into Kyiv to affect their politics. And they've got elections coming up in 2019. Yeah, I was... Just as you know, in Russia, one of the things that constantly came up was a refrain very much along those lines that in order for Russia to leave, the one thing Putin could never countenance would be on Russian TV reprisals against ethnic Russians on the Ukrainian side. That would be politically put him in a, an extremely difficult situation. This is not to defend Russian policy, but to uh, explain it. Michael, By the way, I think there's a way we could have insisted that that not happen with ser- serious sanctions on our part against Ukraine if that occurred. I think that's, I don't think that's real. I want to thank uh, you. Uh, Take the last word, will you? <laughs> <laughs> that was the last word. I, I'm, I'm not going to live this down. <laughs> I want to uh, thank you, uh, Michael Carpenter. I want to thank uh, Vice President uh, for three things. I want to thank him for uh, doing this article in uh, Foreign Affairs.
I want to thank him for being with us today. And I want to thank him for, what, what four and a half decades of extraordinary service to this country. Thank you. Before you hit the road this spring, let your Ford Tire Expert help you find the right tires for your Ford to fit your driving habits and local conditions. And we'll always protect the Medicare benefits you earned and paid for. In the last administration, Democrats slashed Medicare by $800 billion to pay for Obamacare, not too good, Obamacare. Now, one of their new proposals, backed by more than 130 Democrat members of Congress, would cost, listen to this number, $32 trillion, and that's on the low side, $32 trillion, with a T. We're beyond the Bs, the billions. And reduce Americans' household income by 17000 Republicans have raised concerns. I don't care. They, look, I think a whistleblower should be protected if the whistleblower's legitimate. He either got it totally wrong, made it up, or the person giving the information to the whistleblower was dishonest. And this country has to find out who that person was, because that person's a spy, in my opinion. A spy. The president of the Oval Office yesterday. Joining us now, former CIA Director John Brennan. He is a senior national security and intelligence analyst for NBC News. And in Washington, former DOD official, now an MSNBC national security analyst, Dr. Evelyn Farkas. Good morning to you both, Mr. Director. I want to ask you a question about Adam Schiff, uh, because you're uniquely positioned to answer these questions. The chairman of the House Intel Committee reportedly learned about the Ukraine whistleblower's complaint against President Trump days before it was officially filed. According to the New York Times, citing a spokesman for Democrat Adam Schiff, along with current and former U.S. officials. The CIA officer, the whistleblower, approached a House Intel Committee aide with his concerns about the president only after first having a colleague relay them to the CIA's top lawyer. The Times says the officer approached the aide after becoming concerned about how the initial attempt to relay the allegations through the CIA Jets Pizza is crispier, tastier, fresher. Mike Emanuel brings us up to speed live on the hill now. Mike, good day to you as we start another day there on in Washington. Good morning. 
Bill, Sandra, good morning to you. Yeah, there are some complaints that this morning's closed-door session is not being done fairly. Former special uh, envoy to Ukraine, Kurt Volker, who resigned his post late last week, is answering questions behind closed doors this hour. The top Republican on House Foreign Affairs, Michael McCall, is not happy it is being led by the Intelligence Committee, and intelligence staff will be asking the questions, writing, these constraints on committee and Republican participation are unacceptable and at odds with House rules and general fairness. We demand equal representation and participation in this inquiry. There is too much at stake for America and Congress. Now, today, Speaker Nancy Pelosi is defending her colleague, Adam Schiff, who is accused of dramatizing President Trump's call with Ukrainian president. I want the American people to know what that phone call was about. I want them to hear it. So, yeah, it's fair. It's sad. But it's using the president's own words. So if he's... Well, those weren't the president's words. It was an interpretation of the president's words. They're saying he made this up. He did not make it up. Schiff, the House Intelligence Chair, is also under intense scrutiny after the New York Times reported his staff had contact with the whistleblower before the complaint was filed. Schiff aides say at no point did the committee review or receive the complaint in advance. A Republican on the committee says something doesn't add up. He just wasn't honest with how he answered these questions. And frankly, he should have come to the rest of the committee and discussed it with us. And instead, he pretended he didn't know, while at the same time pretending to open this investigation that he supposedly knew nothing about. I, I, I do think there's some questions that the chairman has to answer. It is unclear how much we will learn about what Kurt Volker is saying this hour. It is behind closed doors for a reason. Okay, Mike, thank you, sir. Mike Emanuel there on the Hill. Good afternoon. Last Tuesday, we observed the anniversary of the adoption of the Constitution on September 17th. Sadly, on that day, the intelligent community inspector general formally notified the Congress that the administration was forbidding him from turning over a whistleblower complaint on Constitution Day. This is a violation of law. Shortly thereafter, press reports began to break of a phone call by the President of the United States calling upon a foreign power to intervene in his election. This is a breach of his constitutional responsibilities. The facts are these. The Intelligence Community Inspector General, who was appointed by President Trump, determined that the complaint is both of urgent concern and credible. And its disclosure, he went on to say, relates to one of the most significant and important of the Director of National Intelligence's responsibility to the American people. On Thursday, the Inspector General testified before the House Intelligence Committee, stating that the acting Director of National Intelligence blocked him from disclosing the whistleblower complaint. This is a violation of law. The law is unequivocal. The DNI staff, uh, it, it says the DNI, DNI, Director of National Intelligence, shall provide Congress the full whistleblower complaint. For more than 25 years, I've served on the Intelligence Committee as a member, as the ranking member, as part of the Gang of Four, even before I was in the leadership. I was there when, uh, when we created the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. That did not exist before 2004. I was there even earlier in the 90s when we wrote the whistleblower laws 
and continue to write them to improve them to ensure the security of our intelligence and the safety of our whistleblowers. I know what their purpose was, and we proceeded with balance and caution as we wrote the laws. I can say with authority the Trump administration's actions undermine both our national security and our intelligence and our protections of the whistleblowers, more than both. This Thursday, the acting DNI will appear before the House Intelligence Committee. At that time, he must turn over the whistleblower's full complaint to the committee. He will have to choose whether to break the law or honor his responsibility to the Constitution. On the final day of the Constitutional Convention in 1787, when our Constitution was adopted, Americans gathered on the steps of Independence Hall to wait the news of the government our founders had crafted. They asked Benjamin Franklin, what do we have, a republic or a monarchy? Franklin replied, a republic if you can keep it. Our responsibility is to keep it. Our republic endures because of the wisdom of our Constitution, enshrined in three co-equal branches of government, serving as checks and balances on each other. The actions taken to date by the president have seriously violated the Constitution, especially when the president says, Article 2 says I can do whatever I want. For the past several months, we have been investigating in our committees and litigating in the courts so the House can gather all the relevant facts and consider whether to exercise its full Article I powers, including a constitutional power of the utmost gravity, approval of articles of impeachment. And this week, the President has admitted to asking the President of Ukraine to take actions which would benefit him politically. The, action of the, the actions of the Trump presidency revealed dishonorable fact of the president's betrayal of his oath of office, betrayal of our national security, and betrayal of the integrity of our elections. Therefore, today, I'm announcing the House of Representatives moving forward with an official impeachment inquiry. I'm directing our six committees to proceed with their investigations under that umbrella of impeachment inquiry. The president must be held accountable. No one is above the law. Getting back to our founders, in the darkest days of the American Revolution, Thomas Paine wrote, the times have found us. The times found them to fight for and establish our democracy. The times have found us today, not to place ourselves in the same category of greatness as our founders, but to place us in the urgency of protecting and defending our Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic. In the words of Ben Franklin, to keep our republic. I thank our chairman, Chairman, chairman Nadler, Chairman Schiff, Chairman Nadler of Judiciary, Chairman Schiff of Intelligence, Chairman Engel of Foreign Affairs, Chairman Cummings uh, of, of uh, Oversight, and Chairman Cummings I've been in touch with constantly. He's a master of, of so much, but including uh, inspectors general and, and uh, whistleblowers. Uh, Congresswoman Richie Neal of the, of the uh, Ways and Means Committee, Congresswoman Maxine Waters of the Foreign Financial Services Committee. And I commend all of our, our members, our colleagues, for their thoughtful, thoughtful approach to all of this, for their careful statements. God bless them, and God bless America. Thank you all.
the first impeachment witness appearing on Capitol Hill today. It comes as President Trump and Joe Biden continue to attack each other over Ukraine. Here's the latest. Former special envoy to Ukraine, Kurt Volker, testifying behind closed doors. Meanwhile, House Intelligence Chair Adam Schiff saying he's facing new scrutiny after it was revealed that whistleblower, the whistleblower, had contact with the House Intelligence Committee before filing the complaint. Now, here is the president's latest attack on Schiff and Biden. Schiff has now been proven to be a liar. We've known it for three years because they've been trying to impeach for three years. Uh, he's a liar. He's a stone cold liar. If they were honest about it, they'd start a major investigation into the Biden. And by the way, likewise, China should start an investigation into the Biden. Because what happened in China is just about as bad as what happened with, uh, with Ukraine. Biden is fighting back against Trump's attacks, but raising new questions by admitting he talked to his son about Ukraine. Mr. Trump and his hatchetmen, and the special interest funding his attacks against me, I'm not going anywhere. You're not going to destroy me, and you're not going to destroy my family. I talked to my son. Uh, I, I, we've, we've communicated. He lives out in California. We communicated a couple times. Uh, but look, uh, there is zero, 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 zero evidence of any assertion being made. And other Democrats are going after Trump as well, claiming the president is scared of impeachment. I think the president knows the argument that can be made against him, and he's scared. He also um, is actually obviously motivated by fear. Clearly, he's afraid for the public to see uh, either one of those things. He's afraid of just how badly he may be beaten in November. Uh, Dana, I was, you know, struck that the president, you know, people saying, oh, you shouldn't have called and uh, talked to the Ukrainian president about getting dirt on Joe Biden. Today, he says just out loud. Yeah, China, I'd like you to go get some dirt. Yeah, he's saying the quiet part out loud. Yeah. Um, and it's different. And I bas basically he's saying, okay, American people, you decide if this is wrong. Um, now, some Democrats will say, well, there's a law, and the law says you can't do this. Um, but then President Trump is saying, well, is there, there's laws against corruption as well. And so he's, he's just basically putting it out there. I don't think he's afraid. Um, I think that's a talking point. You can always tell. When the bat phone, bat, bat signal has gone out with the word, now everybody say the word afraid today and you'll get a gold star in your chart at the end of the day. Um, the thing about Schiff having the, the whistleblower complaint before, it does, I think for Nancy Pelosi, her deputizing him to be basically the spokesperson on this is not a clear-cut win for her because he, one, made up the, the parody of the phone call that he led the serious hearing with is just keeps coming up over and over again. And then there's this question of why weren't you completely forthcoming? Now, I think they have a good point that they could say, well, the White House had the heads up about the whistleblower account because the CIA had gone to the White House lawyers, first of all, before they went to the Justice Department. So that gets a little bit more complicated. But I think Schiff, as a spokesperson for this, it's not necessarily great for Nancy Pelosi, but I don't think she has any other good options. She's probably going to have to drive this train herself. All right, so Jesse... Uh, the question that Dana raises, I think, is the one on a lot of people's minds. So is this wrong or is it illegal? We know today that the chairman, chairwoman, I should say, of the Federal Election Commission, Ellen Weintraub, said, retweeted that you can't do this, that it's illegal to ask another country for help, anything of value in terms of a political, getting dirt on a political opponent. Uh, our senior judicial <laughs> analyst, 
uh, Judge Napolitano, he, he wrote, he said, you know, just the summary of the phone call uh, with the President uh, Zelensky of Ukraine shows, and I'm quoting here, criminal and impeachable behavior. I respectfully disagree with Judge Napolitano, and I would like to hold up another treaty. <laughs> yes. This is the treaty we have signed in 2000 with China for corruption and criminal things that we can ask them about and we can pull documents from. And just because Joe Biden happens to be running against the president doesn't make him above the law. Okay, he could drop out tomorrow and then Trump could ask China, get out of here. You're saying the U.S. government and the Chinese government and the Ukrainian government can't ask questions about the Biden family because he's a politician? It's crazy. So I believe that trumps any sort of FEC violation. Also, it boils down to this. Trump is draining the swamp, and that's what the Democrats want him impeached for. And they care more about him fingering their corruption than the actual corrupt acts themselves. And he's going to swing for the fences, like you said. He's going to double down and do this right out in the sunlight, and he's going to say, why are you trying to impeach me? Let the Americans vote on this. Now, the Chinese thing also uncovered some more interesting facts about Hunter. Because yes. Hunter is in business with John Kerry's son-in-law, a Heinz. And what did they do in 2017? They cut a deal with a Chinese communist-backed company for $600 million for an automobile firm. And you know what that Chinese-backed company had done a few years before? Stolen American technology and used it on their stealth fighter jets. And you know who let the deal go through? John Kerry, when he was Secretary of State. Also, while... Joe Biden was vice president. To say that that is zero evidence of corruption, you put that to the American people and you think they're going to say, oh, yeah, nothing to see here. That's crazy. And there's a long laundry list of Biden family members for sale. If you look at Hunter, if you look at his brother, his $1.5 billion deal in Iraq while Joe was the point man for Iraq. So the whole thing's crazy. And if you look at what Hillary Clinton was, when she was running for Senate in 2000 in New York, Bill Clinton pardoned all those Puerto Rican terrorists so she could get the Puerto Rican vote. Or in 1999, when Rudy was mayor here and he was considering running for Senate against Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton sent the feds to go investigate Rudy and the NYPD. So there's no corruption there. Or how about Hillary when she's Secretary of State or running for president? Her foundation's getting tens of millions of dollars from Morocco, Saudi Arabia. That's not foreign interference in the election? Come on. Well, okay. I, those Democrats. You, and now a commercial you. break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Katie, the, the news of the day that we can also point to is Kurt Volker, the former special envoy to the Ukraine, mm -hmm. who was mentioned in the whistleblower complaint going up to Capitol Hill. And what we have heard is that he testified that he warned uh, Rudy Giuliani not to believe what he was hearing from various people in the Ukraine who had involvement with corruption prosecution. He said, these people aren't trustworthy. What do you make of that? I think it's hard to make a decision about testimony that is done behind closed doors because it's going to be politicized, uh, especially by Democrats who are running the show on this impeachment inquiry, which is like 
impeachment, but not impeachment because it doesn't have the legal backing of impeachment, right. but they can go back to their left base and say that they're calling people in front of Congress to get information. Mm -hmm. And then they can leak out selectively what they want to because it's not in front of the public so they can make their own decisions. So I'm going to hold off on uh, my judgment of that. I do want to say that, Jesse, you should do a one more thing that is treaties with water. Go <laughs> around the world and tell us about new treaties. I got a big, thick one right uh -huh. here. But this is bad for Joe Biden for two reasons. The first reason is that it is bringing attention to these uh, accusations that have been written up in mainstream media for over a year, the New Yorker, the New York Times, yep. about Hunter Biden's dealings. It brings up the issue of corruption. And Joe Biden now has been inconsistent in his account of his talks with his son. So just now in that clip, he says, I, zero, zero, zero evidence of any corruption or wrongdoing. Well, when you say zero, 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 you better be correct. Because when something comes up in the future, especially in a campaign, you're going to get nailed on it either by Trump or all the other Democrats running in the party. And Elizabeth Warren is now, I think, going to be the frontrunner pretty soon when it comes to leaping over Joe Biden. She hasn't really jumped onto this because she's allowing Joe Biden to get over this with Trump. But, you know, Joe, might, Joe Biden might not even be the nominee. So what's the question then? Do the investigations continue forward if Warren wins? We'll have to see. Or Warren's Greg, the primary. What, what, what do you think about uh, what Dana said was the talking point of the day for the Democrats? Scared. Afraid, Mr. Trump. Afraid. They of they should be scared. Look, I hate complaining about this job. We have a great job. We get paid to talk about stuff, but this story just bugs the crap out of me because I know it's so fake. This is a political story masquerading as a moral social story, right? It's tr it's an attempt to turn hearsay into heresy. It's just a congenial phone call, but it's become something so big, and we have to pretend every day when we come here, we have to pretend as we report this stuff that to you, we believe that it's really, really important when for us, it's just a carousel that we got to hop on and then hop off at the end of the day. Thank God for Hunter Biden, because this is just so much easier to understand when he becomes the focus. The American viewer, when they're at home, they don't care about the phone call. They, they can look at the transcript and see what it is. But everybody understands nepotism. Everybody understands the pampered, jackass offspring who did nothing productive with his life and just fed off his daddy's name. Everybody knows that guy. Everybody can't stand him, and he's the hood ornament of the swamp jalopy. Right then and there, he is. He is everything that is bad. And then the best part is the media <laughs> complaining, not complaining, but concerned about Trump's anger yesterday. Oh, he seems so upset. That's like lighting firecrackers and complaining about the noise. That's like going to a fish restaurant and going, no, this tastes fishy. Dude, you created this mess. You've been spending three years trying to get the bear to snap. You got him to snap. I also noticed how happy the media is that Rachel Maddow finally, you know, has a story. Right? Because for the last six months, it's been really sad on her show. The numbers are down. But now she's on, she's on The View. There's articles about her. It's like, she's like, uh, it's like her homecoming. It's just, it's like a homecoming dance and a bat mitzvah put together. <laughs> Uh, and, 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 is that what it's called? Bot mitzvah. I'm, I'm a Catholic, but I've never seen a I've never seen a media work so hard with so little. The same media that chuckled over Benghazi in which four people died are now screaming about a phone call. They're screaming about a phone call. How can they do that with a straight face? Anyway, I hate talking about it, but for some reason I was able to do it for two minutes. Well, you talked right. about it pretty well. <laughs> I think you did pretty well. By the way, though, what about what about like Ivanka and her shoe deal with the Chinese? Yo, 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 but it's, it's an interesting question because all 
hundred uh, all of uh, Trump's kids yeah. actually work. Oh, <laughs> they actually work. And Ivanka knows about shoes. Honestly. What does Hunter Biden oh, know about finance? Oh, I can the hip hop. Oh, I Former mayor of New York, Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal lawyer. Mayor, thank you for joining us here this morning. You just heard Tom Bosser right there. He yeah, says sure. if you keep pushing this conspiracy theory that he says has been debunked, well, Tom you're going to bring the president with down. With all due respect to Tom Bosser, he doesn't know what he's talking about. That I invented this. This was given to me. It was given to me in he November. Says intelligence agencies debunked it. He told the president that more than two years. Oh, you were ago. talking about that crowd strike thing? Yeah. That isn't the only thing he asked about. What he's asking about here is... Well, what let, be, let's focus on that first, though. I mean, do you accept that it's debunked? Will you stop peddling it? I, I've never peddled it. <laughs> you ever hear me talk about CrowdStrike? I've President never peddled has. it. Tom Bossett doesn't know what he's talking about. I've never engaged in any theory that the Ukrainians did the hacking. In fact, when this was first presented to me, I pretty clearly understood the Ukrainians didn't do the hacking. But that doesn't mean the Ukrainians didn't do anything, and this is where Bossett... So what does the president keep repeating it? Let's get on to the point. Well, this was. Well, we, I just heard. I, I I agree with Barsett on one thing. It's clear. There's no evidence the Ukrainians did it. I never pursued any evidence, and he's created a red herring. What the president's talking about is, however, there is a load of evidence that the Ukrainians created false information. That they were asked by the Obama White House to do it in January of 2016. Information he's never bothered to go read. There are affidavits that have been out there for five months that none of you have listened to about how there's a Ukrainian court finding that a particular individual illegally gave the Clinton campaign information. No one bothered to investigate that. Nobody cared about it. It's a court opinion in the Ukraine. The Ukrainians came to me. I didn't go to them. The Ukrainians came to me and said... When did said, they first come to you? November of 2016, they first came to me and they said... We have shocking evidence that the collusion that they claim happened in Russia, which didn't happen, happened in Ukraine, and it happened with Hillary Clinton. George Soros was behind it. George Soros' company was funding it. But it you is, accept now that that's not true? I accept that it is true. I can prove it. <laughs> there are affidavits to prove that they were colluding with the Ukrainians, conspiring with the Ukrainians. There's a, a specific person in the DNC who was designated to get this information. There are five Ukrainian witnesses under oath saying it that are online. And if you had any regard for equal justice under the law, you would be looking for those. Well, let me ask the following question to anybody at home. If I change the names of Joe Biden and Hunter Biden to Donald Trump and Donald Trump Jr., 8 million from Ukraine while under investigation, 1.5 billion from China while negotiating with China. Would I be sitting here? Sir, but you just made I know it's a damaging sentence. The 1.5 billion is simply not true. It is simply that true. Is, it, is, it is not true. How do you know it's not true? Have you seen the documents? We, we've, see, we've seen what, it, what the, the fund that you're talking about was set up. Hunter Biden was on the advisory board. He wasn't an investor until 2017. And, the, and there's no evidence that they've gotten $1.5 billion. There's evidence that they got $1 billion directly from China, specific date, 12 days after they returned from a trip to China. There's evidence that another $500 million went in. And there are three partners, Rosemont Seneca, that's Hunter Biden and the stepson of the, of, the, of the Secretary of State. The second partner is the Bank of China. And the third partner is a, play, a company called Thornton Group. 
And the have you ever talked to Chinese nationals? Please, have me, you ever talked to Chinese nationals about let, investigating let, Hunter Biden or let, Joe Biden? Let me let me finish the sentence before you try to figure out what I might have done wrong in revealing this evidence that you're telling me isn't true, which I've seen. So the principles. Well, others are, others have, have counter evidence, and I'm, I'm responding okay. with that. Well, then let's investigate it. Maybe I'm have, wrong. Have you asked the Chinese to investigate that? Can I finish what I what it is that I haven't finished? Okay, what, then answer what the I would have asked him to investigate if I did. The 1.5 billion was in a company that was specially established called Bohai Harvest Rosemont Seneca or some crazy name like that. The partners were Joe Biden's son, John Kerry's stepson, the Bank of China, one third partner at least, and the Thornton Group that was owned by Whitey Bulger's nephew. Now that's all out there. You can go and look at it. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Okay. Should be investigated. And, and would, would, would Hunter Biden's lawyer say? Did I ever ask the Chinese hand? government? No. It's not my. If I did that, you could truly say I was investigating Joe Biden. I'm not investigating Joe Biden. I fell upon Joe Biden in investigating how the Ukrainians were conspiring with the Hillary Clinton campaign to turn over dirty information, including something for which a Ukrainian has already been convicted. So I have a very solid basis for doing it. I also support everything I say with affidavits. I have an affidavit here that's been online for six months that nobody bothered to read from the gentleman who was fired, Victor Shokin, the so-called corrupt prosecutor. The Biden people say that he wasn't investigating Hunter Biden at the time. He says under oath that he was. But, but as you know, I know he says that under oath. Oh, he must not be, we don't even know him. He must but not we, be telling we, the truth. We know that Vice President Biden was part of an international effort, oh. was part of a government-wide effort to help push the, the prosecutor the out name, because the name of here was Donald Trump and Donald Trump Jr. And it said that the president of the Ukraine asked me to resign due to pressure from the U.S. presidential administration. The truth is that I was forced out because I was leading a wide-ranging corruption, corruption, corruption probe into Burisma Holdings and Joe Biden's son. That's under oath by the prosecutor who was handling the case, who they say is corrupt. Now, a lot of prosecutors... It's not just they have said it's corrupt. The European Union has said he's corrupt. The entire U.S. administration Oh, they all said it. Anybody prove it? That's just, why he was removed from office. No, it wasn't. The reason he was removed from office was he resigned because the president forced him to resign. And then, just in case we want to deal with the corruption thing, I have another affidavit, this time from another Ukrainian prosecutor who says that the day after Biden strong-armed the president to remove Shulkin, they show up in the prosecutor's office, lawyers for Hunter Biden show up in the prosecutor's office, and they give an apology for dissemination of false information. I, I know. I, what, you know what the apology is for? For having having gotten out the story that this guy was corrupt. Now, if you met this guy, he's not very good at corruption because he's very poor. Well, Unlike they, the prosecutor who tanked the case on Biden, who's driving around in a Bentley. Okay, you, you, you've you gotten those charges out there. Let's talk no, about No, no, I haven't right. gotten them out there. No, you have gotten them no, out there. No, I haven't. You, you just these are, you these are, those affidavits. Can, I, can I make a contrast? Can I just make a slight contrast with the so-called whistleblower? The whistleblower says, I don't have any direct knowledge. I just heard things. Up until two weeks before he did that, that wouldn't even have been a, a, a complaint. It would have been dismissed. Those are from four. He, he heard things from he White House officials, and everything in that uh, that he said about the phone call is basically tracks no, the transcript that was revealed. No, you know what he's wrong about? The... He says about the phone call that my meeting with with uh, Mr. Yermak was a direct result of the phone call. No, it wasn't. The meeting was set up three days before the phone call. It wasn't a direct result of the phone call. He said he said that he heard from numerous military people that I attempted to 
contact two individuals, Andre Boldan and a fellow named Kononov. The simple fact is I never did. It's a total lie. I never would have contacted Andre Bolden because I had been told by very, very good authorities that he's corrupt. You said earlier... And I shouldn't go near him. He said about five other things that are totally false. And this was... Well, this was... This is what the investigation... And I'm not saying he was false. I'm saying he could have heard it wrong. That's why... George, that's why it's hearsay. Because it's unreliable. Inherently unreliable. That's what the investigation... Unlike him... Unlike him... Please, can I just make my point? You've been making your point. No, I haven't. Unlike him... These are affidavits from individuals who are implicated and who have been and who. Isn't been that the way we office. prosecute crime? Would it, people implicated? They, well, this is that will be part of the investigation that the House. How about is if I? How about if I tell you over the next week four more of these will come out from four other they will, and they will all be investigated. Meantime, no, I'm, no, 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 George, they won't be because they've been online for six months, and the Washington press will not accept the if fact that so Joe serious. Biden may have done something if, if like this. If these are so serious, if this were Donald Trump and Donald Trump Jr., I wouldn't be Mr. having to do this. Mr. Mayor, I am defending well, my client the best way I know how. This is not about getting Joe Biden in trouble. This is about these proving charges, that Donald Trump was framed by the Democrats. If these charges are so serious and so credible, why have they not been picked up by the president's hand-picked FBI director, the president's hand-picked that's attorney a, general, William question. Barr? I don't What's know. Maybe they have I don't know if they have been or they haven't. And if I did, I couldn't tell you. But isn't that the appropriate place for that if they are serious and credible charges rather than well, the One of the ways this came to me is that the four different Ukrainian prosecutors, you can dismiss, dismiss them all. I can't if they're willing to swear under oath. Tell me that they tried to get it to the FBI and the Justice Department for an entire year and were but this completely... Is the- the president picked the head of the FBI. The president picked the head of the Justice Department. If they're serious, well, if William they're Barr wasn't at the Justice Department. He's when this, there now. When this, well, I'm not telling you whether they are or aren't investigating it. I'm telling you. Look, I got this a long time ago, in November of 2018. Very serious concerns at that time by the Ukrainian prosecutors about the FBI. So I decided to go another way. Also because if I went to the FBI or I went to the Justice Department. You've never done that? I'm not saying I did or I didn't, but if I did it at that time... But what's the answer? Did you or didn't you? I have never gone... I've never initiated going to them for a simple reason. Schiff would claim I was exercising my influence to get it investigated. So here's what I did. I put it online. I announced it. I went on every place and said, I have this evidence. And I waited for them to come and get it on their own. So I didn't get a charge that I was trying to force an investigation they didn't want to do. But if you just bother to Google, I made it easy to make I, this case. Mr. Mayor, I, I've, I, I've, I've, I've gone through this and there's, as have I said, have you read Kalyanuk's read. I have read Mr. Kalyanuk is another sides. prosecutor. I've, sent, I've seen that there's no credible allegation of wrongdoing against Joe Biden. Why is this less credible than the whistleblower when this is this is direct knowledge and the whistleblower is hearsay? Why is Kalyanuk's statement not credible evidence when he went on the road? Why is Kalyanuk's statement not credible evidence when he went under oath. You'll have to ask that to the Ukrainian authorities and our own Justice Department, which is not prosecuted. But I do, I, I, I do have to move on. Who says this? Our, do you, our Justice do you, Department isn't prosecuted? You believe uh, the Justice Department is investigating? I don't know. If they're not, it would be... There's no evidence that, that they are. But are you going to cooperate with George, the House is it investigation? Is it possible... Excuse me, I'm being respectful. Is it possible for you to ever treat a charge against a Democrat in the same way as you treat a charge against a Republican. Are you telling me that if there was a sworn affidavit and the names here were Donald Trump and Donald Trump Jr., you, your network, the entire Washington 
wherever they are, wouldn't be. Are, are you? Telling, I wouldn't have to be sitting here. Are you telling me if that there was evidence that Barack Obama was calling up the Russians and say, "I want you to look into uh, Donald Trump," that you wouldn't be blowing he didn't that do up? That. I know he didn't do he that. He didn't do that. No, no, no. Uh, Trump didn't do that. He called him up and he said, I want you to investigate these charges of corruption. If he hadn't asked them to investigate Biden, he would have violated Article 2, Section 3 of the Constitution. And I also know if Obama had called Biden in when the New York Times first, first broke the story in December of 2015 that his son had a massive conflict of interest working for the most corrupt oligarch in Russia, if in Ukraine, if Obama had called him in like a president who understood Article 2, Section 3, and said, Joe, what the heck are you doing with your son who just got tossed out of the military where I had to pull strings to get him in? Your son is working for the biggest crook, listen to me, the biggest crook in Ukraine, and we're trying to fix corruption in Ukraine? And you got him working for Nikola Zloshevsky, who stole five billion. Mr. Mayor, you you, you made your case. Did One Obama do that? Are you? Are did you, Obama do? Are that? you going to did. cooperate with the House Intelligence Committee? That is a question that has a lot, a lot of implications. Believe it or not, I'm an attorney. Everything I did was to defend my client. I am proud of what I did. And I am proud of having uncovered what will turn out to be a massive pay-for-play scheme, not unlike the Clinton Foundation. So will you cooperate? And then we got to look at the $1.5 billion from China you keep and the on two throwing other at, places. Keep on throwing out the charges. And the two will other places that Hunter Biden went to sell his father's Will office. you cooperate with the House Intelligence Committee? I wouldn't cooperate with Adam Schiff. I think Adam Schiff should be removed. If they remove Adam Schiff, if they put a neutral person in who hasn't prejudged the case... If they put someone in a Democrat who hasn't expressed an opinion yet, if I had a judge in a case and he had already announced I'm going to impeach, if he already went ahead and did a whole false episode, would I, wouldn't I move to recuse so, that judge? So that's your answer. You're not going to cooperate. I didn't say we, that. We, we, I said I will consider it. You said you wouldn't do it. I said, you said you will not cooperate with that. I answer. said I will consider it. I have to be guided by my client, frankly. I'm a lawyer. It's his privilege, not mine. If he decides that he wants me to testify... Of course I'll testify, even though I think Adam Schiff is an illegitimate chairman. He has already prejudged the case. If we want fairness here, we've got to put somebody in charge of that committee who has an open mind. Mr. Not Mayor. someone who wants to hang the president who said, I have evidence of Russian collusion. Adam, where's the evidence? Why don't you ask him to produce the evidence? He's coming today? up right now. Are you going to ask him? Are you going to interrupt him as often as you interrupt me? I gave you plenty of chance to make No, the let's see. Let's see. Mayor. Let's see how the interview goes. Okay. Hi, Adam. Nice to see you. Thanks for coming. Gee, how could they go after Joe Biden? Thank you, Mr. Oh, Mayor. God. I'm going to kill the guy who did it. Hi, everyone. George Stephanopoulos. is methodical and your report for those who've taken the time to study it is methodical and it is devastating or tells the story of a foreign adversary's sweeping and systematic intervention in a close u.s presidential election that should be enough to deserve the attention of every american as you well point out but your report tells another story as well the story of the 2016 election is also a story about disloyalty to country, about greed, and about lies. 
Your investigation determined that the Trump campaign, including Donald Trump himself, knew that a foreign power was intervening in our election and welcomed it, built Russian meddling into their strategy, and used it. Disloyalty to country. Those are strong words, but how else are we to describe a presidential campaign which did not inform the authorities of a foreign offer of dirt on their opponent, which did not publicly shun it or turn it away, but which instead invited it, encouraged it, and made full use of it. That disloyalty may not have been criminal. Constrained by uncooperative witnesses, the destruction of documents, and the use of encrypted communications, your team was not able to establish each of the elements of the crime of conspiracy beyond a reasonable doubt. So not a provable crime in any event. But I think maybe something worse. A crime is the violation of law written by Congress. But disloyalty to country violates the very oath of citizenship. Our devotion to a core principle on which our nation was founded that we, the people and not some foreign power that wishes us ill, we decide who governs us. This is also a story about money, about greed and corruption, about the leadership of a campaign willing to compromise the nation's interest, not only to win, but to make money at the same time. About a campaign chairman indebted to pro-Russian interests who tried to use his position to clear his debts and make millions. About a national security advisor using his position to make money from still other foreign interests and about a candidate trying to make more money than all of them put together through a real estate project that to him was worth a fortune, hundreds of millions of dollars and the realization of a lifelong ambition, a Trump Tower in the heart of Moscow. A candidate who in fact viewed his whole campaign as the greatest infomercial in history. Donald Trump and his senior staff were not alone in their desire to use the election to make money. For Russia, too, there was a powerful financial motive. Putin wanted relief from U.S. economic sanctions imposed in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and over human rights violations. The secret Trump Tower meeting between the Russians and senior campaign officials was about sanctions. The secret conversations between Flynn and the Russian ambassador were about sanctions. Trump and his team wanted more money for themselves, and the Russians wanted more money for themselves and for their oligarchs. But the story doesn't end here either. For your report also tells a story about lies. Lots of lies. Lies about a gleaming tower in Moscow and lies about talks with the Kremlin. Lies about the firing of FBI Director James Comey and lies about efforts to fire you, Director Mueller, and lies to cover it up. Lies about secret negotiations with the Russians over sanctions and lies about WikiLeaks. Lies about polling data and lies about hush money payments. Lies about meetings in the Seychelles to set up secret back channels and lies about a secret meeting in New York Trump Tower. Lies to the FBI, lies to your staff, and lies to this committee. Lies to obstruct an investigation into the most serious attack on our democracy by a foreign power in our history. That is where your report ends, Director Mueller, with a scheme to cover up, obstruct, and deceive every bit as systematic and pervasive as the Russian disinformation campaign itself, but far more pernicious since this rot 
came from within. Even now, after 448 pages and two volumes, the deception continues. The president and his acolytes say your report found no collusion, though your report explicitly declined to address that question, since collusion can involve both criminal and non-criminal conduct. Your report laid out multiple offers of Russian help to the Trump campaign, the campaign's acceptance of that help, and overt acts in furtherance of Russian help. To most Americans, that is the very definition of collusion, whether it is a crime or not. They say your report found no evidence of obstruction, though you outline numerous actions by the president intended to obstruct the investigation. They say the president has been fully exonerated, though you specifically declare you could not exonerate him. In fact, they say your whole investigation was nothing more than a witch hunt, that the Russians didn't interfere in our election, that it's all a terrible hoax. The real crime, they say, is not that the Russians intervened to help Donald Trump, but that the FBI had the temerity to investigate it when they did. But worst of all, worse than all the lies and the greed is the disloyalty to country. For that too continues. When asked if the Russians intervene again, will you take their help, Mr. President? Why not? was the essence of his answer. Everyone does it. No, Mr. President, they don't. Not in the America envisioned by Jefferson, Madison, and Hamilton. Not for those who believe in the idea that Lincoln labored until his dying day to preserve. The idea animating our great national experiments, so unique then, so precious still, that our government is chosen by our people through our franchise and not by some hostile foreign power. This is what is at stake. Our next election and the one after that for generations to come, our democracy. This is why your work matters, Director Mueller. This is why our investigation matters. Without objection, the chair reserves the right to recess the hearing at any time. The presidential oath of office requires the president of the United States to do two things. Faithfully execute his or her office and protect and defend the Constitution. President of the United States to do two things, faithfully execute his or her office and protect and defend the Constitution. That oath, of course, cannot be honored if the president does not first defend the country. If our national security is jeopardized, if our country is left undefended, the necessity to faithfully execute the office becomes moot. Where there is no country, there is no office to execute. And so the duty to defend the nation is foundational to the president's responsibilities. But what of this second responsibility to defend the Constitution? What does that really mean? The founders were not speaking, of course, of a piece of parchment. 
Rather, they were expressing the obligation of the president to defend the institutions of our democracy, to defend our system of checks and balances that the Constitution enshrines, to defend the rule of law, a principle upon which the idea of America was born that we are a nation of laws, not men. If we do not defend the nation, there is no Constitution. But if we do not defend the Constitution, there is no nation worth defending. Yesterday, we were presented with the most graphic evidence yet that the President of the United States has betrayed his oath of office, betrayed his oath to defend our national security, and betrayed his oath to defend our Constitution. For yesterday, we were presented with a record of a call between the President of the United States and the President of Ukraine in which the President, our President, sacrificed our national security and our Constitution for his personal political benefit. To understand how he did so, we must first understand just how overwhelmingly dependent Ukraine is on the United States, militarily, financially, diplomatically, and in every other way. And not just on the United States, but on the person of the president. Ukraine was invaded by its neighbor, by our common adversary, by Vladimir Putin's Russia. It remains occupied by Russian irregular forces in a long simmering war. Ukraine desperately needs our help and for years we have given it and on a bipartisan basis. That is until two months ago when it was held up inexplicably by President Trump. It is in this context after a brief congratulatory call from President Trump to President Zelensky on April 21st and after the president's personal emissary Rudy Giuliani made it abundantly clear to Ukrainian officials over several months that the president wanted dirt on his political opponent, it is in this context that the new president of Ukraine would speak to Donald Trump over the phone on July 25th. President Zelensky, eager to establish himself at home as a friend of the president of the most powerful nation on earth, had at least two objectives. Get a meeting with the president and get more military help. And so what happened on that call? Zelensky begins by ingratiating himself, and he tries to enlist the support of the president. He expresses his interest in meeting with the president and says his country wants to acquire more weapons from us to defend itself. And what is the president's response? Well, it reads like a classic organized crime shakedown. Shorn of its rambling character and in not so many words, this is the essence of what the president communicates. We've been very good to your country, very good. No other country has done as much as we have. But you know what? I don't see much reciprocity here. I hear what you want. I have a favor I want from you, though. And I'm going to say this only seven times, so you better listen good. I want you to make up dirt on my political opponent, understand lots of it. On this and on that, I'm going to put you in touch with people, not just any people. I'm going to put you in touch with Attorney General of the United States, my Attorney General, Bill Barr. He's got the whole weight of the American law enforcement behind him. And I'm going to put you in touch with Rudy. You're going to love him, trust me. 
You know what I'm asking, and so I'm only going to say this a few more times, in a few more ways. And by the way, don't call me again. I'll call you when you've done what I asked. This is, in sum and character, what the president was trying to communicate with the president of Ukraine. It would be funny if it wasn't such a graphic portrayal of the president's oath of office. But as it does represent a real betrayal, there is nothing the president says here that is in America's interest, after all. It is instead the most consequential form of tragedy, for it forces us to confront the remedy the founders provided for such a flagrant abuse of office impeachment. Now, this matter would not have come to the attention of our committee or the nation's attention without the courage of a single person the whistleblower. As you know, Director McGuire, more so than perhaps any other area of government since we deal with classified information, the Intelligence Committee is dependent on whistleblowers to reveal wrongdoing when it occurs, when the agencies do not self-report, because outside parties are not allowed to scrutinize your work and to guide us. If that system is allowed to break down, as it did here, If whistleblowers come to understand that they will not be protected, one of two things happen. Serious wrongdoing goes unreported or whistleblowers take matters into their own hands and divulge classified information to the press in violation of the law and placing our national security at risk. This is why the whistleblower system is so vital to us and why your handling of this urgent complaint is also so troubling. Today, we can say for the first time since we have released this morning the whistleblower complaint that you have marked unclassified, that the substance of this call is a core issue, although by means, no means the only issue raised by the whistleblower's complaint, which was shared with the committee for the first time only late yesterday. By law, the whistleblower complaint, which brought this gross misconduct to light, should have been presented to this committee weeks ago and by you, Mr. Director, under the clear letter of the law. And yet it wasn't. Director McGuire, I was very pleased when you were named acting director. If Sue Gordon was not going to remain, I was grateful that a man of your superb military background was chosen. A Navy SEAL for 36 years and director of the National Counterterrorism Center since December 2018. Your credentials are impressive. And in the limited interactions that we have had since you became director of NCTC, you have struck me as a good and decent man, which makes your actions over the last month all the more bewildering. Why you chose not to provide the complaint to this committee is required by law. Why you chose to seek a second opinion on whether shall really means shall under the statute. Why you chose to go to a department led by a man, Bill Barr, who himself is implicated in the complaint and believes that he exists to serve the interests of the president, not the office itself, mind you, or the public interest, but the interest of the person of Donald Trump. Why you chose to allow the subject of the complaint to play a role in deciding whether Congress would ever see the complaint. Why you stood silent when an intelligence professional under your care and protection was ridiculed by the president, was accused of potentially betraying his or her country, 
when that whistleblower, by their very act of coming forward, has shown more dedication to country, more of an understanding of the president's oath of office than the president himself. We look forward to your explanation. Ranking Member Nunes. Seven it's a pleasure to, to have you here. Seven minutes versus 14 minutes. Adam Schiff. Oh, wait. Um, that was his question. Yeah, this is full question. Uh, welcome, uh, Mr. Director. It's a pleasure to, to have you here. And uh, you're going to be part of a charade of legal word games. They're going to try to get you to say something that can be repeated by the media that is here that wants to report this story. You... I just want to get one thing straight, because one of the quotes they're going to use from you is you saying that this was a credible uh, complaint. That will be used and spun as you're saying that it was true. And I want to give you an opportunity to, you, you do not, you have not investigated the veracity or the truthfulness of this complaint. Uh, that's correct, ranking member. The determination on credible was made by the IC Inspector General. He made the determination that it is credible, and he also made the determination of urgent concern. My uh, question was not, I did not question his judgment there. The question I had was, does in fact this allegation of wrongdoing meet the criteria, the statutory criteria of urgent concern? And the other issue, as I said, complicated things. Did it in fact, the allegations within this whistleblower uh, complaint involve executive privilege? Thank you for, for clarifying that. Um, have you ever, uh, you mentioned it a little bit in your testimony, but have you ever or are you aware of any former DNIs who have testified uh, about whistleblower complaints in the public? Not to my knowledge, uh, Ranking Member. I, I do not know. Are you aware of any cases like this that were put into the spotlight is, would this be the way to handle it out in the public like this? I am not aware of any, but I want to say once again, I believe that the situation we have and why we're here this morning is because this case is unique and unprecedented. So why are cases normally not handled out in the public? All the other uh, cases that came before either this committee or the Senate committee, whether or not they met the criteria of urgent concern were forwarded because they involved members of the intelligence community who were in fact in organizations underneath the DNI's authority and responsibility. This one just did not come that way because it involved a member, an individual who is not a member of the intelligence community or an organization underneath the authority of the DNI. So this one is different from all others in the past that I am aware of. So I want to get into how this all uh, got out in the public over the last, this has basically been an orchestrated effort over, over two weeks. Um, if you, we were first told about it, um, I don't know, a week and a half ago, uh, and we were told very specifically that the whistleblower did not want to get any of this information out. They didn't want it to leak out. So there were only a few potential groups of people that would have known about this complaint. You and your, your people within 
your office. Yes, sir. The people within the inspector general's office and the whistleblower and whoever that whistleblower gave this information to. So what I'm trying to, to ascertain is how would it run in all the mainstream media outlets? How did they get, even though they got a lot of it wrong, but they had the basics of it, that it involved the, the president of the United States talking to a foreign leader. So did anybody, you or anybody in your office, leak this to the Washington Post or NBC News? Ranking member, I lead the intelligence community. We know how to keep a secret. Uh, as far as how that got into the press, I really do not know, sir. I just know that it's all over the place. And as you said, it's been reported by different uh, uh, media for the past several weeks. Where they get their information from, I don't know. So that, that was, you know, but it was not. It was not from the intelligence community, from me or from my office. Thank you, uh, Director. So this is not the first time this has happened to pr this president. That happened with a call between the Mexican president, the Australian prime minister. So it's happened twice before that, that pieces of transcripts leaked out. Uh, and of course, this time it was leaked out again. Uh, and the president, uh, thankfully, he was able to put this out because of the uh, because of the actions uh, of this uh, of the situation, as you said, is that's unprecedented. Is it normal for the president of the United States to have their conversations leak out? This is a third time. Uh, I would have to leave that to the White House to, uh, to respond to that, their ranking member. But uh, to me, uh, uh, the uh, president of the United States conversation with any other head of state, I would consider a privileged conversation. But clearly, I mean, those conversations are being captured by the intelligence agencies. So not necessarily, sir. I mean, the, if, if if the president, the well, I should say this, they're, they're captured and then disseminated when they're they captured and disseminated to the in, intelligence agencies. I have to be careful in this open hearing about, you know, how I respond to that. The intelligence community and the National Security Agency, obviously, you know, they collect things that are to protect. I just want to make sure because I'm just, I mean, are we just going to foreign leaders? We're not just have either the president of the United States not talk to foreign leaders or we should just, or publish, just publish all the transcripts because that's what's happening here. Ranking member. So, and somebody's leaking this and it's likely coming from, from the agencies that you oversee. Uh, ranking member. No, that that's sir. I mean, I'm not saying that you, you don't know, but we had the, the transcript with the Mexican president the Australian Prime Minister and now contents of a call with the Ukrainian President leak out. Ranking member, the allegation in the whistleblower complaint was that there were about 12 people who listened in on the conversation. Members of the National Security Council and others. And then others were briefed from State Department as well of the transcripts because they have an area responsibility and a region responsibility, then they would be informed on the interaction. So there were a number of people that from the White House briefed from the call, this would not be something that... Well, was I'm, quite, I'm quite sure of this. The yes, White House probably didn't leak this out. I wouldn't say the White House, but there are individuals within the White House that may or may not. I don't know. But it would not be from an intelligence intercept. I will say that. Right. I'm not... I'm just saying the dissemination, the dissemination of these calls is supposed to be 
sacred, right? I mean, it's and it is important for sure. the State Department and the appropriate agencies to get. I'm not saying it's all in the intelligence agency, but when a president talks to a foreign leader, it's, it's confidential. Those contents are confidential. There could be some facts of that conversation that you do want to get to the appropriate agency, not just the not just the IC. I want to be clear about that, but. But this is now the third time. I'm not aware of this ever happening before, of, of contents of calls like this getting out. I, I, I really don't know, uh, Ranking Member. I'm not aware. I, I don't have the, uh, the numbers to think. It just seems to me, though, that it is unprecedented. And I would also say I think that the decision by the president yesterday to release the transcripts of his conversation with the president of the Ukraine is probably unprecedented as well. Well, we appreciate you uh, being here and uh, have fun. Uh, be careful what you say, because they're going to use these words uh, against you. Well, i tell you what, Ranking Member, either way, I'm honored to be here, and I'm honored to be leading the interview. Well, and I appreciate your service uh, to this country for a long time, and I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Hopefully not in the public, hopefully uh, behind closed doors like this is supposed to be done. Thank you very much, Ranking. I yield back. Indeed, it's not only a conspiracy theory, it is completely debunked. At this point, I am deeply frustrated with what he and the legal team is doing and repeating that debunked theory to the president. It sticks in his mind when he hears it over and over again. And for clarity here, George, let me just again repeat that it has no validity. If he continues to focus on that white whale, it's going to bring him down enough. That was Donald Trump's former Homeland Security Advisor, Tom Bosser, clearly exasperated with the propaganda put in the president's mind by Rudy Giuliani. He was talking about fighting an uphill battle, desperately trying to convince Donald Trump to let it go, to shake loose the debunked conspiracy theories he obsesses over and clings to. And today, new reporting that details where those delusions come from. NBC News has obtained and read through that folder of disinformation propaganda presented to Congress yesterday by the State Department's Inspector General. The packet contains material Rudy Giuliani collected, interview notes, and unproven allegations allegations having to do with the Bidens, as well as unsubstantiated conspiracy theories about an effort by President Obama to use Ukraine to help Hillary Clinton. NBC News also spoke to Giuliani, who says he presented those findings directly to Secretary Pompeo in March. In response, he was told the State Department would take up an investigation. But the material Congress looked over yesterday also included nearly 20 pages of communications between State Department employees working to push back against what they call the fake narrative that Giuliani was pushing. The table's back. Um, this is right in your wheelhouse of, of disinformation, putting the, the American version. Well, and it's it's inside the wheelhouse of the State Department and the White House. I mean, I, I'm sure Pompeo was the last thing he wanted to do was accept that sheaf of papers from Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> I, I, I mean, he, if he was smart, he would have had an aide says so I've never touched it myself. I mean, it it's a it's sort of a scary process whereby Trump seems to look at every institution in government as some. Uh, organization to affect his conspiracy theories and that's how he's using the State Department uh, Giuliani was using the State Department like it's a third-rate detective agency it's shocking but maybe well, it shouldn't be yeah I mean you can see in Bossard's face the frustration imagine you're a, a career expert a subject matter expert a foreign mm -hmm. affairs expert a security expert uh, you're and you're part of the American government which for all its faults is a pretty great institution around the world 
uh, and it's being turned into uh, an instigator of the comments section on Breitbart or wherever. Uh, and, and, and literally, they are, it is being perverted to give life to these made-up accusations. And, you know, in, in, in the clip earlier from the president, he couldn't even get out a straight sentence explaining what the allegation was. That's a good sign of two things. He can't speak intelligibly when he's under pressure. But two, there is no allegation. They can't even phrase it in a way that's direct because there isn't anything there as far as we know. It is a great point, and it's, it's 4.49. It shouldn't take us 49 minutes to make it. Yeah. There is no veracity yeah. to any of these allegations about the Bidens. No, it's just all... 4chan crazy stuff. I mean, it's it's um, and 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 it's it's it, it, what Trump is trying to do. I think is create this sort of aura of sleaze around the name Biden, uh, and I think he would settle for that if he were able to do that. So in, in a sense, it doesn't really matter to him what the specific allegation is supposed to be, as long as people associate you know Biden sleaze or Biden bad, um, uh, and and he continues to. To, to hammer at that, um, you know, you talked about a, you know, an expert, a country expert in the State Department. No one is an expert to Donald Trump, more of an expert mm. than Donald Trump, on anything he thinks he knows something about. Well, and so you, you're de facto not an expert if you disagree with Donald Trump. Yeah. It is amazing, though, that it took a whistleblower almost <laughs> in the mm -hmm. third year yeah. to disclose all this, because this is obviously the MO. It took a whistleblower to state the obvious about all the crazy and all the illegality that defines Donald Trump's presidency. I still can't get over Rudy Giuliani giving the fake package to Secretary Pompeo. And it literally, there, there's a picture circulating on Twitter of how it was photoshopped, the White House logo. Not in the actual White House font, <laughs> but just a knockoff version. And it kind of is symbolic of how wrong everything is going right now with this administration, that Rudy Giuliani is considered a serious person by Donald Trump, that he is one of the only human beings on earth who actually is giving some credence to this theory that President Trump's own former Homeland Security advisor went on network on Sunday morning TV to say, this is crazy, this is just nuts. Maybe right. the generals who were there before, maybe there were better guardrails than we realized. Hey there, I'm Chris Hayes from MSNBC. Thanks for watching MSNBC on YouTube. If you want to keep up to date is, with Joe Biden is, was best pal with John Kerry. This is in 2009. And it happened just in time as Joe Biden was sworn in as vice president. Their sons decide to get together. Joe Biden, or Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, and John Kerry's stepson, Christopher Hines. Now, here's a father and son team that decide that the fathers should pal around and the sons should pal around. So now, John Kerry and Joe Biden are pals. Now, remember, this happened just as he's being sworn in as vice president. John Kerry is going to be made Secretary of State. And the two sons get together and they decide, we're going to go into business together. They, bri they bring in a third partner, the roommate at, uh, from Yale, Devin Archer. Now, Devin is a guy who co-chaired John Kerry's campaign finance committee when he ran for president in 2004. So the, the trio 
decide to do something none of them have any experience in whatsoever. The three of them decide we're going to start an international private equity firm called Rosemont Capital. And we're going to have several different branches, including one that's called Rosemont Seneca Partners with an office in Georgetown, which happens to be right down the street from John Kerry's mansion. And then another one is right by Joe Biden's vice presidential home. Now, it's important to know here that the U.S. Foreign Corrupt Practices Act does not prevent foreign companies from hiring or making special deals with children of U.S. government officials. That law should be changed. All right. However, these business deals, man, they seem awfully shady. And they happen to coincide, uh, uh, coincide. coincide with visits to the Ukraine from Joe Biden and John Kerry. It's weird. So tonight I'm going to go over all of this and I'm going to tie it all together with a whistleblower. But I want to give you the outline here of of what this really is, this whistleblower on Trump and Ukraine. What they say is he wanted dirt on Joe Biden. Well, I don't think it's unreasonable to for the United States president to say, did was there dirty dealings going on with Joe Biden and his son in Ukraine? And if so, we would like to know the information. Now, I don't like it being used for political reasons, but the questions should be asked. Now, Joe Biden says he threatened him. He threatened him. Well, there's no evidence of that. The foreign minister said that's not what happened. So where's your evidence on that? This is just trying to turn this around to make it look like Donald Trump did something to kick dust over what Joe Biden did. Now, Joe Biden said on the record, he's never talked to his son about any business dealings, none. I want you to ask yourself if that sounds reasonable. As soon as, as, soon as uh, the vice president was sworn into office in 2009, John Kerry's stepson and Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, decide they're gonna go into business together and they're gonna do a private equity firm. Now. None of them had any private equity firm kind of experience at all. So we're going to we're going to do this. All right. Now, there's nothing necessarily illegal about the business deals I'm going to tell you about, even though even if the wheels of these deals were greased by John Kerry and Joe Biden in Ukraine and China. You have three minutes for your tag feedback. Please tell something you like. But it is such a blurry ethical line. I don't even know how you make heads or tails of this. What Hunter Biden did may actually technically be legal, but it is not something the vice president should ever allow on his watch. All right. I'll get to the Rosemont, Rosemont Seneca company, but the first stop on the Biden's corruption tour is Ukraine. Two characters you need to know about. Former Ukrainian government minister, 
Mikola Jolzewski, and an oligarch named Ihor Kolomoisky, I guess. He's the head of Burisma. Now, this is the gas and oil company. It's the largest private natural gas company in the Ukraine. So this uh, Kolomoisky takes over Burisma. Um, Zolachevsky created Burisma in 2006, and he created it through a complicated web of offshore maneuvering. It's very common in the Ukraine in business practices, but it, ended, it, it ends up being run by this, this oligarch. I'm just going to call him Ihor. Ihor. Ihor the oligarch. He now runs this offshore business, um, and it's the largest gas company in uh, Ukraine. All right. This guy has a very shady, violent reputation. Um, his thug resume is extensive. He is also on a government visa ban list, so he can't even come into the United States. He can't legally visit the United States. That's how bad this guy is. When Russia invaded Crimea in 2014, President Obama made Joe Biden the point man for the Ukraine. So Joe Biden was on the phone with the Ukrainian leaders two or three times a month. He made five trips to the Ukraine between 2014 and 2017. Now, Foreign Policy magazine said no one in the U.S. government has wielded more influence over Ukraine than President, Vice President Joe Biden. In 2014, roughly a month after the Russian invasion, Devon Archer, you remember him? He's the partner with the Kerry and Biden boys. Uh, Devon Archer visited Joe Biden at the White House. Remember, this is the partner. So we don't know what the meeting was about. They probably were just, you know, you know, exchanging tales about how crazy their his, boys are. And but five. His uh, kid was getting a tour of the White House for a school project. Five days later, five days after the, you know, exchange of the cookie recipes in the White House, Joe Biden landed in Kiev for a high-level meeting in with the Ukrainian government officials. He brought with him specific plans for a program to assist the Ukrainian national gas industry, as well as details of a billion dollars in U.S. insistence in loans. So I'm bringing with me a whole buttload of money where you can help your natural gas industry. Isn't that helpful? And Burisma happens to be your largest natural, uh, natural gas company. Isn't that crazy? Now, part of the energy uh, portion of the program read, U.S. technical experts will help Ukraine develop a private, public-private investment initiative, a public-private investment initiative to increase conventional gas production from existing fields to boost domestic energy supply. Now, coincidentally, just the day after Biden uh, arrives in the Ukraine with this big American deal to help with investment in natural gas, Devon Archer, the partner, you know, with Biden and Kerry, he's named to the board of Burisma. What a coincidence. That is uh, such what a coincidence. Odds? It is. It's like, 
<laughs> What's going to wow. happen next? I mean, who knows? Maybe Ilan Omar will marry your brother. <laughs> Such a crazy coincidence. Then um, he's, uh, he's in the company with the oligarch that's not permitted to be, uh, you know, here in the United States. Then three weeks later, Hunter Biden also joins the board. Huh. Right? <laughs> okay. Uh, these are unusual coincidences. Well, it, what's really crazy uh, is, um, is the connection between uh, Joe Biden coming in and saying, hey, we're going to help you retool your, natu national, uh, your natural gas industry mm -hmm. through public-private partnerships oh. and the largest natural gas company privately held is the one his son is now on the board of no but it's only because both of them their experience in the natural gas industry oh it's extensive like go, goes back no they didn't minutes? have any no they did they didn't have not any. even minutes worth not even no. minutes <laughs> worth uh they didn't they didn't have any but hmm. their investment house uh that they had yeah. you know uh, they also didn't have any experience in, in you know, investment They're houses just quick either. learners. They're just They're very quick, quick learners. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they, they joined the Burisma board right before the British government announced that it was freezing the London bank accounts belonging to Burisma. So, so it's such a corrupt company that London, right after Hunter Biden is on, uh, they freeze the bank accounts. Now, nine months later, the British government finally gave up and unfroze the accounts when they couldn't get Ukrainian prosecutors to cooperate and give them any information. Now, after Hunter Biden joined the Burisma board, the company's owner, remember the oligarch? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, he was suddenly taken off the U.S. Uh, ban list. He could come into the United States. He, uh, and you know what? Mm -hmm. the, the, the ban wasn't the only thing that disappeared. The uh, $1.8 billion loan uh, the U.S. promised to the Ukraine? Most of that was put into, a, uh, into Ukraine's largest bank. But it was, it's owned by the corrupt oligarch <laughs> that also uh, owned and ran Burisma. So all the $1.8 billion that we said we're going we're gonna to send over, we're going to help you, it went to the oligarch's bank, and that disappeared too. Hmm. A lot of coincidences here. <laughs> there's a lot you of coincidences. But anybody who's looked at this has said there's, <laughs> yeah, there's nothing, nothing there. going on. There's nothing <laughs> going on. We're going to have the whole story tonight. It gets worse Jeez. from there. We have the whole story tonight, 5 o'clock. Now with the chair of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, Mr. Chairman, thank you for joining us this morning. You just heard uh, Rudy Giuliani say you are not a fair uh, chair of this committee. He, it is difficult for him to cooperate. At one point he said he would not cooperate as long as you are the chair. Your response? Well, he seems to think that, uh, that I'm the judge and jury here. My role is to do the investigation. My role is to make sure that the facts come out. Uh, if it were to lead to an impeachment, and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, uh, it'll be the Senate that makes the determination about whether the president's conduct uh, should result in his removal from office. 
but yes, I intend to hold the president accountable and I intend to do a thorough investigation. Uh, and what we have seen already is damning uh, because what we have seen in that call record is a president of the United States use the full weight of his office with a country beholden to America for its defense, uh, even as Russian troops occupy part of its land. Uh, and the president used that opportunity to try to coerce that leader to manufacture dirt on his opponent uh, and interfere in our election. Uh, it's hard to ma imagine a series of facts more uh, damning than that. And me, so, yes, we're going to get to the bottom of it. Let me, let me, let me stop you right there, because you're already hearing some of the president's defenders, even those who, some who say the call was not appropriate, suggest that in the absence of an explicit quid, quid pro quo, uh, some kind of statement from the president or document that says we are withholding the aid until you do that investigation, that, you, that that is what is necessary to pursue impeachment, that kind of an explicit quid pro quo. What's your response to that? Well, that's nonsense. Uh, it is uh, illegal, improper, a violation of oath, a violation of uh, his duty to defend our elections, our constitution, for the president to merely ask for foreign interference in our election. That is enough that the president said, I want you to do us a favor. And though, he added, uh, immediately after the Ukraine president uh, talked about the need to get more javelins, more weapons to defend against Russia. So we don't have to show a quid pro quo, although this conversation comes awfully close. But here, you have the added fact that this conversation takes place at a time when the president is withholding hundreds of millions of dollars in assistance to Ukraine. Well, the Ukrainian people uh, and their president are not stupid, and neither are the American people. Uh, and they can see and understand and appreciate a shakedown when they see it going on, and that's exactly what this was. The whistleblower's complaint also mentions Mayor Giuliani oh and his God. efforts several times, uh, more than two dozen times uh, in the complaint. Do you need to call Rudy Giuliani as a witness? Uh, we'll make that decision down the road uh, after we determine all the facts that uh, he was involved in in terms of uh, his efforts uh, that I think were a foundation to that phone call. It certainly seemed that the Ukraine president understood before the call what was going to be asked of him. Uh, so we want to flesh out the facts, then we'll make a determination about whether it would be productive to bring in a witness uh, like Rudy Giuliani. Um, but, uh, you know, let's, you know, let me, let me address this attack that he made and others in the GOP have made on this whistleblower. This whistleblower showed a lot of guts to come forward. Uh, and the fact that, that uh, what the whistleblower related uh, came from third parties doesn't make it less credible when that information is borne out. And here, what the whistleblower reported about the president's communications with President Zelensky turned out to be right on the mark. What they communicated about withholding of funds turned out to be right on the mark. And what the whistleblower communicated about sequestering these conversations or this conversation in a place it didn't belong, this covert action classified file, turns out to be exactly right. So this witness blower has already been substantially corroborated, which suggests that other information that he or she provide in that complaint likewise may be subject to corroboration. So do not dismiss both the professionalism of this whistleblower and this is what we'd expect of someone who comes out of the intelligence community. Have you reached an agreement yet with the whistleblower and his or her attorneys about coming before the committee and providing the information firsthand? Yes, we have. Uh, and as Director McGuire uh, 
promised during the hearing uh, that whistleblower will be allowed to come in and come in without uh, a minder from the Justice Department or from the White House to tell the whistleblower what they can and cannot say. We'll get the unfiltered testimony of that whistleblower. Now, we are taking all the precautions we can to make sure that we do so. We allow that testimony to go forward in a way that protects the whistleblower's identity because, as you can imagine, with the president issuing threats like we ought to treat these people who expose my wrongdoing as we used to treat traitors and spies and we used to execute traitors and spies, you can imagine uh, the security concerns here. So when do you expect to hear from the whistleblower? Uh, very soon. I, you know, It will depend probably more on how quickly the director of national intelligence can uh, complete the security clearance process for the whistleblower's lawyers, but we're ready to hear from the whistleblower as soon as that is done. Uh, and we'll keep obviously running shotgun to make sure that the acting director doesn't delay in that clearance process. You, you, you heard Mayor Giuliani say that he he might invoke attorney-client privilege, or he'll, he'll testify if the president asks him to, but if the president wants him not to testify, it's, it seems likely that he won't. What about those other White House aides mentioned in the whistleblower's complaint? The president suggested that maybe they're going to have to go to the courts to stop this impeachment process. Are you concerned that they're going to slow this whole process down by claiming executive privilege over the testimony of White House aides? Well, I am concerned about it. Uh, they have been making these fallacious claims of privilege uh, for months and months now and seeking to obstruct the work of Congress. But uh, here's the problem for the administration with that strategy, and that is even as they try to undermine our ability to get to the bottom of the full facts of how he was uh, coercing Ukraine to dig up dirt on his opponent or manufacture it, uh, they will be strengthening the case um, for an article of impeachment based on obstruction of the lawful functions of Congress. And so they can't have it both ways. If they're going to obstruct, then they're going to increase the likelihood that Congress may feel it necessary to move forward with an article on obstruction. Uh, one way or another, though, we're going to get this information. We're going to find out why those funds were withheld, uh, who is in the know about it. We're going to find out what other communications uh, were also improperly uh, hidden in this classified system that's meant to contain uh, the most highly sensitive classified information involving covert action, not the president's misconduct. Uh, so we're going to make sure that we get to the bottom of this no matter what they do. Why has there not been a full House vote authorizing these impeachment proceedings that happened in the case of Richard Nixon, it happened in the case of Bill Clinton, it happened with Andrew Johnson? Well, look, I tried an impeachment case uh, some years ago in the Senate involving a corrupt judge. Uh, as far as I recall, we didn't have a vote in that in the full House. But for the uh, presidential impeachment, you have. Well, I, it's certainly not necessary as a matter of constitutional law uh, that we have a vote. Uh, all that's necessary is that we conduct the impeachment uh, inquiry in the manner that we're doing, that we, um, through the Judiciary Committee, and Chairman Nadler has already done this, uh, declare themselves to be pursuing an impeachment inquiry, and now this is the formal position of the entire uh, caucus and our leadership. So a vote isn't required. Uh, what's what's important here is that the work get done, uh, and the work uh, is getting done, and we're bringing a real sense of urgency to it. We've got the Inspector General coming back in uh, this week, and this time in closed session again, uh, to discuss those other witnesses, George, that you mentioned that we're going to want to talk to who are within the White House or were within the White House. Uh, that can shed light on these serious allegations in the complaint. We've noticed depositions for five of the State Department people for this week, the former ambassador to Ukraine, who was abruptly uh, removed from her post, uh, as well as uh, Ambassador Volker, uh, who was uh, part of the liaison between Giuliani and whatever kind of uh, conduct he was engaged in in Ukraine. So 
We're moving forward with all speed, and that's really what's important here. You have been criticized by the president and others for comments you made in your opening statement at the hearing on Thursday. I want to show a bit of it right here. I'm going to say this only seven times, so you better listen good. I want you to make up dirt on my political opponent, understand lots of it. This is, in sum and character, what the president was trying to communicate. That was you, you putting, I mean, making up dialogue, putting it in the president's mouth. If the facts are as damning as you say, why make up dialogue for dramatic effect, even if it's a parody, as you say? Well, George, you're right. The call speaks for itself, and it is uh, plenty damning. But let's not uh, uh, pretend that this is really what the president is upset with me about. Uh, I can tell you exactly why the president is furious with me. And that is because when I learned that a whistleblower had filed a credible and urgent complaint that was being withheld from Congress, and no one in the country knew about this yet, I went public to demand that we get that complaint. I scheduled a hearing with the acting director to force the director to come in, as I said at the time, to explain to the American people why he was the first director to withhold a complaint from Congress. That had the effect of forcing the White House to produce that complaint, which I then made public. That also had the effect of forcing them to release that call record. That's what the president is furious with me about. Uh, the president believes that it is his God-given right to shake down foreign leaders for help in his re-election, uh, and he should not be encumbered by the public finding out about it. Uh, and that's what has incensed the president, and I'm willing to, to take the brunt of that. Um, and, and I have to say once again how grateful I am to the courage of the whistleblower. All I did was expose that complaint. The whistleblower, had the whistleblower not come forward, none of us would have known of the corrupt conduct the President of the United States was engaged in. Final question. Since then, have other whistleblowers come forward to your committee or to, to, to the Inspector General? Uh, I don't want to comment on uh, whether other whistleblowers are coming forward to either us or to the Inspector General. Uh, all I can say is I would certainly hope that others, uh, in particular those that uh, the whistleblower was referring to, um, would look at the courage that uh, he or she has demonstrated uh, and follow that example because we are dependent on people of good conscience coming forward, particularly now given that we have such an unscrupulous president. Mr. Chair, thanks for your time this morning. Thank you, George. Hi everyone, George Stephanopoulos here. Thanks for checking out the ABC News YouTube channel. If you'd like to get more videos, show highlights, and watch live event coverage, click on the right over here to subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to download the ABC News app for breaking news alerts. Thanks for watching. What's your reaction to the fact that they have that this new prosecutor has been put in place and that he's going to reopen <laughs> these cases, including Burisma? Thank God. I mean, the fact is that this case was closed in October of 2016, right before the presidential election, uh, by uh, pressure from Joe Biden, bribe to Poroshenko. If they reopen it uh, and they do a thorough investigation, it may lead right to the president of Ukraine, who allegedly may have been paid something for doing this. He was paid a lot for a lot of things, and they know that. They ran against him. But the reality is that um, this has to be investigated. And what Democrats have been doing for two and a half, three years is uh, covering it up. And a lot of what they're doing with this impeachment thing is to cover up Biden. There's a couple of steps. Biden gets the prosecutor Shokin fired. Right. The new prosecutor comes in and he does three corrupt things. He dismisses the Soros case. He dismisses the Biden case a couple months later. And he dismisses the Burisma case. The only thing I know Biden knew 
is that it was going to dismiss the Burisma case, but it had the effect of dismissing the other case as well. Frankly, I don't think Biden knew it, but I can't exclude it. It's right. never been investigated. But because he did it, maybe on purpose, maybe inadvertently, he cut off all kinds of evidence that would have explained the Steele dossier and made it probably impossible to ever have Mueller because it would have been started, started to be revealed in 2016 and you would have seen Glenn Simpson, you would have seen some of the false stuff attributed to Russia. Remember, Steele was never in Russia. These people told me, how stupid are you people? What we heard from Kurt Volker yesterday was that he has also been around a long time, spent a lot of time in Ukraine. He says that Joe Biden never did anything wrong. He wouldn't know that. He said, I'm just telling you what he said. This is an eight-page transcript that he just put out. Yeah, he said that he believed that you were being spun mm -hmm. in the Ukraine and that they were leading you to believe that there was, you know, things going on that weren't going on and that that is what you ended up putting into this document I, envelope I, that we all just saw. Hold on, I, I let you talk. I, want, I just wanted to ask you this <laughs> so that you can Good, so that please. you can respond to it. And that he also wanted to make, he was concerned that some of what you were pursuing was going to make it look like Ukraine was not only involved in 2016, which I think everybody understands the desire to look into 2016, but that he didn't want it to appear in any way if they started looking into Biden again, that the Ukraine was also, Ukraine, excuse me, also trying to get involved in 2020. He was very concerned that there might be that confluence that would really reflect badly on this new government wow. that wanted reform. Well, Kurt never said that to me. Ever. It's all in his transcript. It's he all never in said it to said. me. I don't know what's in his transcript. He never said it to me. Now, here's why Kurt is wrong. Kurt, first of all, with all due respect, he's a great diplomat. He doesn't know anything about investigating. Doesn't know anything about crime. Kurt never investigated it. Well, he's a diplomat. But he never investigated it. Sure he does. If he had said that to me, he, you know the first thing I would ask him was show me the investigation. Yeah. They never investigated it. They're taking the word of people who have an interest in covering it up. And they're not investigating it. I asked for only one thing from them. I don't ask for a result. I asked for an investigation. For three years, these very dramatic allegations of corruption have not been investigated. And I beg to differ about Biden being 2020. Biden did what he did from 2014 to 2016. He did it as vice president of the United States. Let's just say it's true. Then it's one of the major sellouts by a vice president in the history of our country. How can a president of the United States not want that investigated? Remember, this all started and our desire to have it investigated goes back to November of 2018. It ended, my investigation ended in March of 2018. Go look at the, the documents. I investigated this for a sole purpose of defending Donald Trump. I've heard I you wanted it investigated for the sole purpose of Donald Trump. And at the because time that I did it, Martha, I, got, I, got a, I, got, I got to finish the final thought because it's one of the reasons why they're Go lying. Ahead. At the time I began this investigation and at the time I ended it, he was not a presidential candidate. In November of 2018, when but he first... Is now. How did I know that in November of No, I, I understand what you're and saying. tell me why. I'm just saying that the concern is that. But, no, but the concern is fraudulent. The concern is political spin. How would I say as a lawyer in 2018 that they're explaining to me how the crime that my client is being investigated for was committed by others and the vice president of the United States committed a very big crime. I'm supposed to say I'm not going to investigate that because Joe Biden is sitting at home thinking of running for the president of the United States two years later. I, I Isn't that ridiculous? I, no, I, I, I think it's a good point. I understand what you're saying. But I want to look. I up, one of these the Democrats are covering up corruption. 
massive corruption. But don't you understand? Don't you understand? Of people course, in a situation that people say, you know, I understand completely that you want to look into and Bill Barr wants to look into and the president wants to look into the origins of the 2016 investigation. And what about Joe everybody, Biden's corruption everybody wants in 2016? To. Okay, but but I but that triggers something different. Yes. He is running for president against pre against the current president, okay. President Trump, and it triggers concern that what is being requested is a little bit of a dig to okay. open this. Everybody knows that the Hunter Biden situation is very sensitive. It's something that was absolutely going to come up during the course it's of this sensitive. conversation. It's very corrupt. It's not sensitive. It's well, there are different elements to, to the uh, yeah, Hunter Biden story. You okay, and, and you know that, that. All right, you listen. You have to be naive not to think that. All right, I've been, I've been saying I'm going to bring up these text messages. No, this is from July 25th. Kurt Volker. July, I'm sorry, the date. I got it. July 25. I got involved. July 25. Kurt Volker to Andre Yermak, who is an uh, associate of Zelensky. Right, exactly. Um, Kurt Volker says, good lunch, thanks. Heard from White House, assuming President Zelensky convinces Trump he will investigate, get to the bottom of what happened in 2016, we will nail down a date for a visit in Washington. Good luck, see you tomorrow. So that's all. That's very good. You're happy with that. Well, doesn't it say 2016? This is, yes, it absolutely. doesn't say 2020. Then it yeah, goes that, on. Uh, Martha, it doesn't say President Trump wants you to interfere in the 2020 election. It says President Trump wants you to investigate substantial allegations of federal crimes partially committed in Ukraine by high-level American officials. Exactly what an honest president should do and exactly what Obama didn't do five years ago that could have stopped the whole thing. One thing that you guys have absolutely succeeded in doing is pushing this to the forefront, and I think that it will. It already is flushing out this question. You should be delighted, as I, you said you are, started. because now the prosecutor we is going to do another 15, started. I'm going to tell you another thing. I never, cases. I never investigated China for the very reason that you'd criticize me for investigating China, because you may think the I link... I you. No, no, you would. China. I mean, they would. The, the, the media would criticize me. Look, I'm getting criticized for investigating a situation in which he put himself. I didn't go pay the bribe. I didn't know about Joe Biden when this information was given to me. I'm being criticized for investigating that. Imagine if I started investigating China. I know I could prove China. Have you looked into China? I have not investigated China. Have you talked to people in China about Joe Biden? So, I uh, I, 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 son, I convicted I convicted the uh, commission of the mafia, one thousand mafia members, yeah, Biden, Bosky, two hundred crooked uh, politicians, Democrats and Republicans. Would you give me credit for having a nose for corruption and crime? I, I absolutely give I you credit for it. having a nose for corruption. I can and smell crime. it. Here's what I smell. China is a bigger sellout than Ukraine. I can't prove it. And the Democratic Party is scared out of their minds because this pay-for-play scheme doesn't just involve Biden. The big question that has to be asked is in 2015, when the New York Times first exposed the enormous conflict that Biden had in Ukraine and criticized him, how could you have your son taking money from a corrupt oligarch? No, he was asked about it many times. Out? Why didn't Obama stop it? I, Any honest you know, president there's, would have there's, stopped there's, it. There are indications that they were concerned in the Obama White House about it, that they well, talked to him about it several times. But why didn't they, they stop didn't it? Want to, that they why? didn't want to step in. Um, maybe they wish they had. Because they have no sense maybe of Maybe they ethics. wish they had. But, well, let wait, me ask you something. Uh, is, so is, you're is suggesting this very that, similar to Hillary and I, Clinton Foundation? Yeah, let, let me just stay with this for one moment. Is it so, you, similar to Hillary and Clinton Foundation? Is the, absolutely, there yeah. are parallels. Are we starting to see a pattern now? Perhaps. Is it I'm possible, is it possible if we break this open, we're going to find out the Obama administration might be one of the more corrupt administrations in a very long time? Is it possible? We'll see. I mean, we're going to follow. And is it possible we'll, we'll that Democrats, is it it possible the Democrats would cover that up and fight for their lives and have right, Schiff going out, violating laws, 
in order to frame the president of the United States. And make no mistake about it, the president of the United States is extremely serious, and there are lawyers working on it right now, about suing those guys directly, individually. Yeah. Not a, not a joke, not a threat. It's a difficult legal endeavor. And we've got lawyers working on it as we speak. And thank you, Schiff, because you keep lying every day. He knew about the whistleblower. We were, we were and he that. lied about it. We reported that. Let me ask you this. Weeks? I guess a lot of people look at the situation from the Schiff? State Department. Can I ask you a question? From the State Department to you know all of these diplomats who had a lot of experience in Ukraine and spent many years there, who who have feel very differently about the situation than you do. That they they don't see under the rocks what you see under the rocks. Well, maybe if they had they, seen under the rocks what I see under the rocks, it wouldn't be going on in Ukraine. Maybe it wouldn't, and maybe you're going to fix it all. Have they? There's never going to be another you. There never has been another you. And maybe you're going to fix it all. I'm not going to say I'm going to fix it all. Maybe Donald Trump is going to fix it all because he's a disruptive president who knows how to break up the swamp. Rudy Giuliani's not going to fix it. Donald Trump is going to fix it. And the reason he's president of the United States and they're just walking around with their suits on and haven't done a damn thing about corruption in Ukraine except to contribute to it. Do you know what they say in the Ukraine when we talk about corruption? They say bull. You had Joe Biden pulling down. Oh, I'm sure they do. I mean, they, they think we're the biggest <laughs> hypocrites. Don't you think an American president has to crack that Let me open? Ask you something. And do you think he's going to crack it open with the very diplomats that couldn't find it well, in the first Maybe President place? Trump is going to solve all of the corruption in the Ukraine. No, he's and, not. And you are going to. You just said he he's was. He's got to solve the American. He said I'm not going to do it. He's going to do it. The American corruption. You just has said to be that. I, I was just repeating what you said. Yeah. So a lot of people look at the situation and they say, "What exactly are you doing?" in this situation. This is a State Department, we have ambassadorial level that, that's involved in all of this. Why are you the president's personal attorney? What is your personal wow. mission? What's your mission? To disrupt the world. My mission is to defend my client in the best traditions of the legal profession. So it's in the interest of your client to find out what happened with Joe Biden and Burisma, not no, no. the country. Please, do we, do we, uh, that's a mischaracterization, Martha. Well, you tell it's me. It's in the best interest of my client to unravel the corruption in the Ukraine, which involved mostly collusion in the election, into which Joe Biden inserted himself. But isn't that what Bill Barr is doing? Isn't that his job? Well, Bill the Barr Justice wasn't Department? there when I was doing it. What is different from your role and Bill Barr's role? There was no Bill that. Barr when I did it. What is the difference between what you're doing? Did you hear what doing? I just said? There was you no Bill Barr. You started before he did. I get it. I get Bill it. Bill Barr wasn't there. I started the investigation in November of 2018. Said, no, I understand all I that. I ended the investigation in March of 2018. Every fact that I have goes back to then. How could it possibly be to affect the 2020 election? How would I have known back then that he was going to run? And why would I have not investigated him if he was central to the whole story? And they gave it to me. I was going to say, no, take the Biden thing, yeah, put it aside, because the American press will attack me if I go after that. Well, you know what? It's going to be very, I mean, we But I'm we very discouraged that, 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 that somebody to has to re-examine why this wasn't stopped in 2015, because it could have been stopped You're doing then. it. You're doing it. If we had an honest president. <laughs> okay, so what really happened? China has insane protests. Hong Kong is basically shut down. Uh, the world is under explosion. I mean, this is the the details of the world. And Giuliani, 
just wants to disrupt the world. Okay, why? Well, because there's involvement with British investigators, there's involvement with uh, the former Vice President of the United States. There are all these people involved and we need to understand the gravity of this situation. What really happened? Like in the 2015 White House Correspondents Dinner Speech. What happened there? That's important. Why is this actress doing this thing with the Vice President of the United States on HBO? <laughs> May 3rd, 2014. Hello? Selena, what are you doing? Oh, God. I thought you were the president. Hey, listen, are you going to this snorespondence dinner tonight? <laughs> no, I'm not going, man. I've been there once. It's a bunch of politicians trying to explain politics to Hollywood. It's not worth it. Exactly. I mean, who wants to see David Gregory crying in the corner all night? Actually, I wouldn't mind seeing that. Hey, do you want to come and pick me... Yellow. Get in the car. Oh, shit. But this is the West Wing. Oh, it's locked. Anybody, anybody looking? Just, just check for me. No. Oh, I'm going to remember that. Oh, yeah. Shh, 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 shh. Okay. Whoa, 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 no, no, don't touch the desk. Don't touch the desk. Okay. Okay. Oh, there, there are no corners. There's not one single corner. Oval. 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 Come on, right. let, let, let me show over here. That's where the president sits. This is where I sit. This is the vice president. <clears throat> Same exact chair. One big difference. A lot of power in that chair. You got that right. I'm hungry. Are you hungry? Come on, let's get out and get something to eat, okay? Yeah. Mmm, yeah. This is good. My granddaughters like the sprinkles. This is like the sweetest thing you can get in the executive branch. Hey, guys. What are you doing? Nothing. What's in your mouth? Carrots? Hey, don't tell Joe. Haven't you guys listened to anything I said about healthy eating? Hand it over. Let's hand it over. Yep. You guys, come on, let's move. Okay, okay. Busted. Say that again. Oh, this looks good. Mm. Oh, I just forgot my purse, so... I'm sure there are raisins in here. Mm. It's a fruit. Plus, it's more than they give you that correspondence dinner, let me oh. tell you. Plus, I work out every day. Yeah, sure you do. I do, too. You want to arm wrestle? I don't really work out. Yeah, I didn't think so. So where are we headed next? We're going to the real seat of power. 
the real seat of power, where's that? We can write any headline we want. Knock yourself out. Go to it. The headline I'd like to write is Selena Meyer sworn in as president, but all in good time. Yes, we can all look directly into the camera, Kevin. The point is, you're not supposed to. Now, if I could just find a young reporter to bang and throw under a train, then we'd be in business. Who the hell are you talking to? Don't worry about it. Examples of work that you've done? Yeah, sure. Great. Uh, here. This one I did for Hillary Clinton. Mm. Uh, that's uh, Rush Limbaugh's. Mm. And, uh, well, that's one I did for Jeb Bush. And uh, let's see. Well, that's Ted Cruz right there. And, uh, well, this is uh, Rand Paul. Figures. Oh. Selena, hi, Joe. What are you doing here? Getting my tattoo done. You know the difference between a tattoo and the Koch brothers? No. They're both painful, but you can get rid of a tattoo. Ah. All right, let's do it. I'm in.
failure has to be quantified. If you fail that you never can get up from it again, you know, that's not a good failure. I think, I think failure and adversity are the two things I think about. For me, as an entrepreneur, and very entrepreneurial, and always in my own stuff, all the failures along the way, even going back to like the baseball card show when I was 13 and I paid $400 for a table and nobody showed up to that baseball card show, that was a learning lesson. Those micro failures were super, super important. I think, you know, it depends on your stomach, right? Like if you, if you really fail, like go out of business, I think people take one of two ways, right? They're like just finished and they're never able to get off the mat and they go in a different direction. So to me, I think quantifying the failure is important to me. They gotta change, you gotta evolve. Like Madonna did it right. She reinvented herself 14 times. That's why she had a long career. You know, like you gotta reinvent yourself. You know, so I, let's talk about sports. When you're the best athlete and you're like the guy and you're like one of the top 15 players, Draymond Green, he's my buddy. Draymond really worked on his game every off season. You know, uh, Ricky Rubio, the flashy point guard from uh, Minnesota, if he developed his outside shot, he would have been a much bigger player. He had all the passing skills, the quickness, he's got everything. If, instead of going to Ibiza and fucking chicks in the off season, he worked on his 18-foot jumper, he'd be in the game. If you have ambition, your actions have to match that. And too many people are just like, not putting in the work. Their mouth is way ahead of their fucking, you know, actions. Like, really? You're gonna be the greatest NBA player of all time? Why, because you think you got a little handle on the weekends? You need to shoot 15,000 free throws before school every day. What did you do from Friday 5 p.m. until Monday 7 a.m.? I'm just curious, like, and I don't think you shouldn't have a weekend, but I think everybody's ambition actually is more predicated on their actions than their words. My friends tell me all the time they're so ambitious, and I'm like, if that's true, then you punt leisure, and you punt concerts at Jones Beach, and you work. I realize what's going on here. One life. I realize that I'm living like this is our only at bat, and most of you aren't. People fucking walking around here like they're coming back. People fucking walking around here like they're coming back. You're not coming back. Well, listen, I don't want to impose my beliefs on others. Maybe you believe you come back. I believe you come back and come back as a tree, or a flower pot, or D-Rock sneakers. And that blows compared to being a human. And so I'm acting that way. I'm acting that way.